power on. Woo! This episode of Sovereign Tech is dedicated to Ted Dabney, who just died at the age of 81 and was the co-founder of Atari. Oh, yes. The computer company that really changed it all. Don't talk about your Apples or your Microsofts. Nolan Bushnell and Ted Dabney changed the game, literally and metaphorically. This episode of Sovereign Tech goes out to Ted. Woo! Let's get to the show. Earth, 2018. The alliance between governments and tech giants has led to the rise of the surveillance society, distraction technology, the attention wars and the erosion of your mind. But one show stands against this insidious system. Hosted by the podcast champion, the man of tomorrow, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He and his co-hosts form the intellectual resistance. It's time for Sovereign Tech. Coming off of seeing Solo in theaters, of course, with the best. The best being Brian, Ellen, and Stephanie. Oh, man, did those ladies rock or what? Are they cooking? What an amazing night that was, baby. Woo! But you know what you're here for. You're here for the Golden Stallion, the Man of Tomorrow, Sabzu, the Rated R radio star. You're here for some Sovereign Tech. And, of course, don't worry. Sooner than later, the ladies will be back on the show. I know you love it when they're here. I sure as hell love it. Uh, but, boy, do we have a great time. Anyway, if you're wondering, wait a minute, the Golden Stallions, Brian Sovereign's voice does not sound so juicy and melodious this week. What is going on? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. Um, I am on my handy dandy H Zoom H6 microphone right now on location, uh, but uh yeah, so the audio is going to sound a little bit different, but you know you're getting quality here. I mean, the H6 is one of the best uh, audio devices on the planet today, no doubt about it. So, uh, wow, um, a lot to... <laughs> A lot to get into before we get into our main feature for this week, which you knew this was coming, uh, as happens every day. This is now a sovereign tech tradition. Every time that a new Star Wars movie comes out, we dedicate the second half, an entire hour of the show to reviewing that movie. So spoiler alerts right out of the gate. If you have not seen Solo, a Star Wars story yet, and I know it's only been out a couple days for most people, okay? If you haven't seen it yet, you're going to want to stop when we get to the halfway mark. Don't worry, I'll warn you, okay? But 
I'm not going to, I mean, I don't know how many spoilers I'm going to get into. Honestly, with the movie, I don't know how many spoilers there really are because it's kind of a prequel and there's things that you know that are supposed to happen. And I'm not going to like tell you the whole story. You know, I'm not going to narrate the whole film for you or anything. Uh, so I don't know how spoilery it's actually going to be. There's a couple things in it that are very interesting, but also, you know, I mean, like some of the surprises that were in the movie, don't worry, we're going to get into tech and all that stuff. Relax, breathe, breathe, breathe. We're going to talk tech. We might even get into some science. We're going to get into some wild shit here in a minute. Okay. I might even tell you a couple stories. How about that? Um, but the, the thing is, is like, even the surprises in Solo, they're surprises. It's just like, oh, that's interesting that that's in this movie. But it's not that they don't already like that. You don't already know about it, that you don't already know it's a thing, at least if you're a major Star Wars fan. Now, if you're not a major Star Wars fan and you're and you don't watch Rebels, you don't watch Clone Wars, you don't read the comics and stuff like that, then maybe some of this stuff would come off as a surprise. But it's one of the actual the good things I thought about the film. But I'm not going to tell you whether or not I thought the film was great or bad or what until we get into it later but we've got other stuff to talk about so i'll tell you a little story right here uh this is i'll keep the people anonymous um we i was i was helping out somebody get a uh, a new smartphone okay and you know this person wanted to go through the process yeah well you know just make it simple we don't need to get it online we'll go to the eight an actual at&t store and all that and we'll get it through at&t and everything and that's fine i mean i i get it that there's some some simplification that goes on with that and there's a purpose to this story okay <laughs> believe me um and we go in there so first thing that like strikes me is the damnedest funny thing is I'm listening. We walk, I'm walking in, and 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 there's this conversation going on at the you know at the at the cashier's desk or whatever the hell that is you know where where you check out usually. I mean, you, in in these in these smartphone stores, you know the Verizon stores, AT and T stores, you can pretty much check out anywhere because the registers are just iPads that everybody's carrying around. And but this guy's talking to the you know this guy's talking to one of the I don't know customer service representatives whatever. Uh, the customer is talking to the representative and the representative says this phrase. And this was just <laughs> look and all due respect to, you know, to the CSRs that actually work in these stores, because I know you're you're actually providing somewhat of a valuable function, especially for people, you know, that maybe aren't so tech savvy, which is totally fine. If, if I in fact, if anything, it, sometimes that can be almost a good thing, <laughs> you know, uh, but he, he's talking to the CSR is talking to this, this customer and says, look, this is what the CSR says. The, you know, the representative says, look, in my professional opinion, and I don't even know what the hell was said after that, because inside my, you know, my laugh meter in my brain is just going off like your professional opinion. What, what the fuck are you the professional of? <laughs> like, like what do we really have professional phone installers now? And you know, to, to take nothing, I mean, look, and it's sometimes it's just a phrase, right, that people just say. But I thought, A, that that was, I mean, that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my professional opinion. I mean, that's like, and look, I, I've been a fast food worker in the past. I know how this goes. But that's like, you know, a fast food worker saying to a customer, hey, look, in my professional opinion, as a sandwich maker, wait, what? <laughs> I, I mean... Not to say that there can't be professionals within the fast food industry. There certainly can. That, that's that's a whole other thing. I don't mean to make fun of anybody. It just came off as so odd. Like, okay, please tell me what exactly you're a professional of, what schooling you had to go through and everything, you know, for to, 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 to you know, earn that title, shall we say. Not that titles are, well, they are what they are. 
But anyway, here's the thing is that even if I were to like accept, you know, at this AT&T store that this guy's some kind of professional. So we're getting the person's, you know, we're, we're getting the gal's, you know, phone set up and everything. And the guy is going through the whole process and transferring over all this data and everything. And, uh, you know, the question is asked, well, am I going to have to re-input, um, you know, my Wi-Fi password for my home into the new phone and everything? And the CSR that's helping us out instantly opens his mouth uh, and says, oh, no, 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 that's all, you know, that'll all be uh, shared to the device. And I said, I was like, and, and I repeated what the person said because, you know, I'm the golden stallion and they know that. And, you know, the person that I'm helping out here and they, <laughs> they, they know they know what I'm talking about. And I said, I was like, yeah, it's like, you know, Google, I said, yeah, Google actually keeps a complete record of all the Wi-Fi passwords that you enter into your, uh, you know, into your Android devices. I said, so, and they'll just transfer it right over. And the CSR says, oh, no, 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 that's, that'll be done through Samsung Link, which is this. You know, something I actually didn't know about that Samsung Link has this ability or has this app that you can install uh, or it comes in newer versions of Samsung Galaxy phones where you can automatically between Galaxy phones, you can transfer like everything apps, contacts, text messages, pictures, all this stuff just by hard hard line connecting or via Wi-Fi to, uh, you know, to Samsung Galaxy phones. And it's only for Samsung Galaxy phones, even though I'm sure other manufacturers have something similar. And, and he, but he says specifically, he says, Android doesn't save that, you know, trying to say that I'm wrong. And I'm, and I'm just looking, I'm like, you know, and I just said, oh, oh, you know, I just gave it that because what the hell, like, is this where I want to spend my day arguing with this guy who gets paid practically nothing, you know, for what he does. And he's just, you know, trying to, I don't know, get by and play Call of Duty or something. I don't know. But, (laughs) but (laughs) I, I mean, this is the thing, like. No, absolutely. In, in fact, even when, when you know, the, the gal is helping out, I mean, you know, the woman I was helping out, even when she's like going through setting up the phone, there's the point where it even asks, you know, would you like Google to back up and transfer all your passwords and all this other stuff referencing the Wi-Fi passwords? Like it's right there in the fucking setup process. Yes, absolutely. Android, you know, slash Google, okay, does store those passwords. I mean, we, we talked about that years ago when it was first announced. And, you know, there's a lot of dangers and concerns around that. Because I even cracked a joke there at the AT&T store and said, it's like, and nobody should find that creepy that Google does that, you know. And, and look, I get it. They have to. I mean, a lot of these people that work at these smartphone stores, you know, the AT&T store, the Verizon store, something like that. I mean, if people gave a shit, actually gave a shit about their privacy, you know, like, like really gave a shit, you know, I mean, I have a smartphone too. So, you know, I'm just as, I'm just as bad here. I'm saying if people actually took the action of regaining their privacy, which would generally mean tossing out a lot of these smartphones, right? These guys, you know, all these people would be out of a job, you know? So they, they probably don't like the privacy conversation so much. Okay. But bottom line being, this guy, he didn't, I don't think he lied. He just didn't understand. He just d- didn't have the knowledge that, yes, absolutely, this is a thing. And, it, and Google does it openly. And, it, you know, it's known and it's part of the phone setup process. Which, with the phone setup process, he kind of should know that. But uh, w- whatever. Anyway, he didn't know. But that's the thing is that, like, you know, you got these guys saying, in my professional opinion, yet they clearly, there's a lot of things they don't know about their profession, right? 
It was just so, I mean, because I've never really, I haven't been in one of these stores in forever. I mean, and I mean forever because I've generally, you know, gone through where you just either buy like kind of the prepaid phone or something like that, or I order mine off, you know, off of eBay or online or whatever in some form or fashion. And I put in my own SIM cards and all that stuff. I mean, that's the way I'm used to doing it. And so I haven't really had this experience of going into these stores and seeing what it's like and what the whole process is like. It was pretty enlightening stuff. Uh, And in fact, I'm probably going to add a blurb or two about it in um, I have uh, the 2018 edition of Dark Android is coming out in June and yes it is coming out in June it has to come out in June so you can count on it <laughs> okay um, but the 2018 edition of, of Dark Android is coming out in June and I'll probably mention a bit about this and say you know look don't trust those people in those stores. <laughs> like they, they don't know what they're talking about when it comes to your privacy, which that's the purpose of the Dark Android book. It's, you know, your guide to reclaiming your privacy on your mobile device, uh, you know, in the world that we live in today, you know, the surveillance society that we live in. Uh, I mean, it was really enlightening, though. And, and it actually kind of bolstered me as soon as I had the experience. I was like, well, this is why, you know, my Dark Android book and project needs to be a thing. This is why this exists because, you know, these, these guys and look, knowing, knowing that stuff in the first place is well beyond their pay grade. I firmly believe that I don't expect them to know that, but then I also don't expect them to like say with such certainty that the opposite is true. You know, like that, that's kind of the problem there. And this guy was nice enough. I'm not, I don't think he he wasn't being an ass or anything. So I wasn't going to be an ass back or whatever. You know, I mean, there's a part of me, especially when it comes to tech, when somebody says something that I know is just ass wrong, that I want to, you know, just, you know, say, do you know who the hell I am? Slap nuts. Like what the fuck? You know what I mean? I want to go into full, (laughs) go into full golden stallion mode. Uh, But I didn't. And anyway, but these guys don't know, you know, they, they, they just don't know. Um, And Whatever. Like I said, they don't need they don't need to know. But if you want to know, well, you can get the Dark Android book. Actually, the 2017 edition is is out there and the uh, the 2018 edition is going to have a lot of updates from that. But don't let that stop you if you do want to pick it up. Uh, Actually, that I've been very pleased. My Dark Android book, which understand the Dark Android and this isn't an advertisement for my book, but the Dark Android book is literally the guide on Android security. There are no other guides. There's like development, like for developers, there's, there's some guides out there, but for like the everyday person or even the slightly more tech savvy or even the very tech savvy, there's no other book out. I mean, when you type in Android security in, in Amazon, boom, you know, my book comes up and I mean, there might be a a couple others that are developer ones or that are more like broad about privacy but not, not Android specific. Like, and, and that's the thing, like, that's another thing I, I remember. I, like, I thought about saying is like, look, look, buddy, I wrote the book on Android security. Don't tell me what the hell this, this, these things don't do. Not that I, anyway, but I didn't do that, <laughs> but I did literally write the book. That part I did do, you know? And I, I mean, I, it is the book. There is no other. Um, and like I said, the 2018 edition is coming out. If you want to check it out, darkandroid.info. It only sells for three bucks. The 2018 edition is going to sell for the same price, uh, you know, and that's that's coming up. So anyway, but, you know, not to say that I can't be wrong, because sometimes I can be wrong. And in fact, that brings me up to the next point I want to I want to talk, I want to bring up uh, quickly. And that is GDPR, GDPR, Global Data Protection Regulation out of Europe. Okay, so a couple episodes ago, might have been episode two, oh no, no, it would have been like three episodes ago, 276, because I think this is 279. 
I think it was episode 276, where I talked about how, hey, everybody's getting all these privacy policy update emails. Guess what? You're getting screwed by some kind of regulation. Now, people are getting screwed by some kind of regulation. That abstract point is still kind of accurate. But for whatever reason, and I knew about it because like earlier that day, before I even recorded that episode, I was talking about GDPR at a, um, at a talk that I was giving at a crypto party um, in, in New Hampshire. And it was so weird because like, how I didn't equate because, you know, I, I didn't equate that all those emails were from GDPR. I don't know. I don't know. And then somebody brought it up. And so immediately the following Wednesday on the Wednesday Q&A, I spent a whole, you know, like half of a Q&A episode just explaining GDPR, what you can do about it, what it means, where it's coming from and, you know, the negatives happening with it. OK. Uh, and, you know, it, it's it's still bullshit regulation, even though it seems to be something that's, that's supposed to supposed to help the consumer more and is supposed to be very concerned with privacy. Um, I think a lot of people are just playing a lot of games to where they can, they can work around it, you know? And so anyway, I just wanted to make that correction that those emails, it's not some kind of grand conspiracy. I mean, you know, maybe you could put it part as part of a grand conspiracy, but it is because all the, all of those, all these policy updates and the emails are fucking insane. The amount that are coming out. Uh, I mean, it's like just a million of them, privacy policy, privacy policy, privacy policy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, all has to do with GDPR. And that that's, that's what it is. It's not that like new orders came down on high from, uh, you know, from the NSA because GDPR is European legislation, which we talked about a couple of years ago, back in 2016, when it was originally um, being proposed. So anyway, just wanted to make that correction. I don't know what song, I know when I'm right, the song that we, we go with is uh, usually Bobby Roode's Glorious, Glorious, right? <laughs> and someone will sing it, like Ellen will sing it or something. <laughs> but uh, but when, I'm, when I have to do a correction, I, I, don't, I don't know what song to do. <laughs> but anyway, there you go. So GDPR is in effect. Um, if you, you know, if it's something that's affecting you, like you have a business, you're an entrepreneur or something like that. I assume you have gotten in touch with lawyers and you've had to deal with a lot of legalese and everything because, I mean, this is a real minefield of, of a piece of legislation. Very strange. I talked about it in that Patreon episode. I'm not going to recover it here because we have other things to talk about before we get to our review of Solo. Um, we have a lot to talk about and things that may be significantly, you know, that, that are actually like very concerning. So, yeah, but... That, that's the deal. Like, and, and, and I, you know, I knew that, like, I, I really knew that. And then why I didn't equate it, I, I don't know, because like, you know, uh, Hack5 did an episode about it in late April that I listened to, like I knew it was coming and it, it just one of those, you know, sometimes even the best, whoo, we'll screw it up. That's all. <laughs> so there you go. But most of the time, I like to think I know what the hell I'm talking about. But anyway, and, and most of the time, I think I'm absolutely right. When there's a bunch of new privacy policy updates coming out, it's because uh, companies are covering their ass from something that the NSA is going to do to you. I still think that that abstract point uh, is generally true, even though in this case it was uh, GDPR, which was, you know, a, a, a different animal. So, all right, uh, let's get on to uh, let's get on to another story here. Actually, real quick, you know, story. Yeah, here's a little story. The other day, I'm I'm in the store. You know, we're 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 at a we're at a grocery store. Uh, Loveland hyperintelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I, the boss, and I see this thing. You know, we're looking at the meat section, and I see this thing. It says Beyond Burger, and I'm like, oh what the hell is this? You know, I, I got all excited about it. I was like, what the hell is that? 
And, or I, I mean, you know, because beyond burger, like, doesn't it sound exciting, whatever. And obviously, you know, after a second, you realize, oh, that means it's like vegan or vegetarian, probably. It's actually not, it's, it's meatless. So I picked one of these up. You only get like two in a package. The package costs anywhere from six bucks to something else, or, you know, to hire. And it's like, I just got to know. I got to try it. And it's like, and it says it's soy free. So I'm like, all right, you know, there's not any, any soy. So whatever that, that I'll, I'll give this a, I'll give this a crack. You know, that like that, that's fine. And so a couple days later, we finally make it and, you know, I cook it up and wow, let me tell you, if you haven't tried one of these things yet, this was pretty good. <laughs> like, I mean, it's a unique flavor. It, it, it had definitely had the consistency of a burger. I think it had the beet stuff in it that makes it look like it, like almost makes it looks like, like it bleeds, you know, to kind of give you the trick that it's actually a burger and all that. It has a kind of a unique flavor, but when I was, so years and years and years when I, when I was a kid, um, when my, uh, family converted to Seventh-day Adventism, um, we became vegans. And so at the time, like there was this thing called nature burger. And so, you know, we're talking like early nineties here. There was this thing called Nature Burger that, uh, oh boy. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's supposed to be like, this is before Boca Burger was a thing and all that, but it's supposed to replace, you know, like the idea of a burger, but it's supposed to, you know, you can put it in the bun and everything. You know the deal. I mean, and these things tasted like cardboard. Like they, they were terrible. You know, not that I have like the greatest taste buds in the world for anything. You know, I'm the worst person to ask about how something necessarily tastes, even though here I am extolling the virtues of the Beyond Burger. But here's the thing. I mean, I can definitely say I know that the Nature Burger tasted like shit. This Beyond Burger? Yeah, you know. I, I mean, because this is something somebody asked this. Oh, boy, maybe a year ago. Uh, somebody asked this question, like they thought that I was really, you know, because of my, uh, penchant for not wanting to use lethal force. Um, they thought that my eating of meat, you know, because I'm, I'm very much into, you know, fitness and bodybuilding and everything, uh, that they thought that that was like a inconsistency, that that was some kind of contradiction on my part. And I said, I was like, look, you know, I, I get it. Like vegans, vegetarians, whatever. I mean, like th those people, like, I, I understand you have the moral high ground and, I wish for a future, you know, like I'm all on board with, with a future where, you know, you don't really have to eat meat anymore. I just debate whether or not you can actually really provide everything that, you know, meat provides the human body to grow. And especially, you know, when you're into being a very health, you know, or, or I mean, healthy and what you consider to be your best, you are very subjective, can be very subjective things, but there are you know, within the medical field, there are objective metrics to what healthy means. If you want to be a very healthy per or a very fit person, how about that? Does that work for you? If you want to be a very fit person, because I'm not here to shame anybody, I'm really not. If you want to be a very, you know, very fit person uh, and active, you know, there's, there's certain things that meat provides that not much else can, can really replicate. And, but I'll tell you, I mean, this Beyond Burger, and it has like 20 grams of protein in it. I mean, even though I think there's more to meat than just, just the protein. Um, I, you know, it, I said, you know, if this is kind of the future of food, future's looking pretty good. <laughs> I was like, I was like, well, I'm not ready to become a vegetarian. I said, but shit, this is, uh, you know, this is, this is a step in the right direction, you know, to, to, to where, where that could go. Um, and they're, they're big burgers too. I mean, like they, you know, like it, I mean, you can make a meal out of it. Granted it's, you know, six bucks a meal. And for some people that's honestly, it's for some people in America, it's expensive, you know, but, um, if, if that's all you had, I mean, if you had a bun and everything, I mean, you know, that, that they'd fill you right up, you know, no problem. But 
Anyway, I was I was shocked. You should check these out. These Beyond Burgers are very, very, uh, very interesting. You know, um, I mean, you can pull. You know, and look, I know I have a lot of listeners because again, I've gotten called out by them. I know I have a lot of listeners that are either vegan or vegetarian or whatever. And and like I said, you know, you people like in a lot of ways ethically, I I agree with your points and what you say. And and I think that even meat eaters and you know vegans or vegetarians both agree that like a lot of the ways that animals are treated, you know, that's one of the arguments, right? Is, you know, how terribly animals are treated Uh, as far as, you know, within this whole food production process, you know, I mean, it's just, it's really bad. I mean, we're all going to agree on that, you know, but that doesn't, it's not how things really have to be. I mean, they, they, they just don't, whether you're a meat eater or otherwise. So, um, I mean, I could, you know, I, I could almost picture myself because, you know, I've heard some interesting arguments around this, like, like being pescatarian, that that like would deliver everything. Like as long as you can have fish, cause fish is now, I mean, that's the thing. So you got the beyond burger, but I don't think we're, you're ever going to create beyond fish, right? <laughs> like the beyond salmon is not going to become a thing. Um, I just, I don't, I don't see that. I don't think you can really replicate what, what fish can really deliver. But if you have fish, I mean, I think that you can get that protein and you can get a lot of the things that, you know, say you didn't eat meat or whatever. Like I, I, and I've, I've heard, I've listened to other, other like bodybuilding podcasts where they've talked about this and, you know, you could then really pull that off. But again, you're still eating, you know, you're still eating fish. Uh, so pescatarians, you know, maybe, maybe onto something there, but anyway, yeah, that beyond burger, I was, uh, I was pleasantly, I was shocked and surprised and hell, maybe I'll have some more tonight. How about that? <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right. Wow. We, we, we've got, we've got so much to, uh, to get into here. Let's talk about, let's talk about some problems, shall we? Uh, <laughs> instead of just good stuff, <laughs> let's talk about some problems. Uh, signal yikes. Uh, it was recent. This has already been fixed. And in fact, most people like signal, this is, this has to do with signal for desktop. Uh, most people have their signal set for automatic updates. If you don't, please do. Um, signal that it w- for Windows and Linux, not for Mac, even though I think last week in episode 278, when uh, the lovely and hyperintelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy was on with me, we talked about uh, one of the flaws with signal with signal security on on Mac OS. Well, now it turns out on Windows and Linux, there was a very real problem where an XSS payload, like just sharing a link effectively, that had an X that that went to you know that had an XS, XSS payload available to it, um, could do an injection attack and like send a form to the Signal desktop app, just the Signal desktop app, not the mobile app. Okay, the Signal desktop app on Windows or Linux that could effectively capture whatever you ended up typing in, you know, into like into this form, but you wouldn't realize really that, that, that this form, you know, effectively appeared. I mean, it's a very, very clever, uh, 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 crack exploit. Um, but the vulnerability understand while this is, this, this is a thing and it's already been fixed. I think version 1.11.0, as long as you are up to that, um, you are, you know, you're, you're all set like that. That's not a problem. And even if you, if you're up to the latest beta, uh, with with signal you know that then you're okay all right understand this is not this really has nothing at all to do with the signal protocol itself the signal protocol is perfectly or it as perfect as anything could be is perfectly solid okay this was just an implementation the way it was implemented on you know windows and linux signal is not broken if somebody if you saw if you heard about the story and the headline said signal is broken they're fucking liars 
Okay, just like we've been talking about over and over again, uh, like we talked about last week with e-fail, like these people, they're, they're, they're blowing things completely out of proportion as to what's going on, or they're outright lying, like saying PGP is dead. That's, that's outrageous. Okay, uh, and Signal also, look, it, this has already been patched. I mean, in fact, it was the patch was going out before like the public announcement was made. All right, so this wasn't, you know, you, you probably have nothing to worry about, but at the very least, Make sure you're up to version 1.11.0 or the latest beta if I'm not running the beta, so I don't recall what the version number was, Um, you know, if you want to make sure that this isn't affecting you. But it's a very specific attack and like you'd have to get the specific link in there. I mean, it's very hard for for it to happen. So I don't think it's something that, uh, you know, that people are necessarily taking advantage of. And of course, you know, if you're not running the Signal desktop app, then it doesn't affect you at all. So, and, and some people aren't and, and Hey, you know, rock, rock and roll, uh, that, that goes for you. So, and I don't know, you know, how this happened. So this is something like, as, as I was looking into when early, a few months ago, when the signal desktop what was in November, 2017, when the signal desktop app became standalone and wasn't attached to the Chrome browser anymore, um, I was curious how they set up the the independent implementation. And what there is, there's there's a framework called, or what you actually, like a, a platform that you would uh, call Electron. And what it is, it's a platform that you can plug into your code that emulates what allowed the app to work within Chrome, okay? And this this Electron framework, I'm, a, I'm feeling a little skeptical of. Okay, and I need to do more research on it. I'm just putting it out there that I don't know if that had something more to do with the problem. Um, I mean, because this was, it wasn't a quick fix. I'm not saying that there's something inherently wrong with Electron. I'm saying maybe there is, but this is something that people needed to be able to get their apps quickly away from, you know, from Chrome when Google announced that Chrome would no longer allow for Chrome apps, uh, you know, unless you're using Chrome OS. So yeah, I don't know. The, I got to look into this more. If you're really, really concerned, well then stick with the mobile app. Okay. You know, and, and don't, uh, you know, and don't use the desktop app if you're that concerned, but I think the desktop app is fine. Again, this was a matter of implementation signal. It absolutely is not broken. Uh, so rock and roll anyway. Um, you know, b- beyond, beyond what, what happened with signal there, uh, I'm not going to spend much time on this, but there are new, uh, speaking of implementations, there are new implementations, new versions of the Spectre exploit uh, for, and this is not, again, this is not just Intel processors. This is AMD. This is ARM. It affects them all. Uh, that is out in the wild, but the patches for it are happening quickly. And some of the patches that have already been released to solve previous versions of um, and firmware updates to solve previous versions of the Spectre uh, exploit may already be mitigating this. Okay. Um, The one thing I couldn't find out with this new Spectre, I mean, like there's, there's going to be new variants and all this stuff coming out for a while. We talked about that. That would be happening, you know, as things go along. I mean, it just, the only things I'm going to say about it are this, I'll I'll bring up a couple things. First off, I couldn't get a clear answer if, if this new variant of Spectre affects Raspberry Pis because the original version of Spectre did not. 
you know, Spectre Meltdown, like, like that, that didn't affect Raspberry Pis at all, which I thought was awesome. That's great uh, because Raspberry Pis are the backbones of a lot of amazing projects going on right now. And I mean, hell, it's the backbone of some of my work. I love my Raspberry Pis. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's amazing how secure a little platform that baby is. But, <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know if, if this new variant affected that. I'm going to say no, it didn't because even though it's a new variant, the, because the initial variant couldn't work, I want to say that 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 the, the same rules would apply, but I haven't gotten a straight answer as far as that goes, um, and I haven't had the opportunity to look too deep into it myself. But there is a new version of Spectre out there. Now, here's the thing. Now, I rev- if you're a Patreon subscriber, which you go to SovereignTech.com, S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com, to become a Patreon subscriber, where you get access to hundreds, if not thousands, of hours of exclusive content, reviews, Q&A shows, all kinds of wild shit. In fact, we've got our live Hangout Q&A coming up tomorrow on Sunday. Uh, that'd be May 26th um, or 27th, sorry, at 4 p.m. Uh, Eastern. So I I, ta- I reviewed this there. Um, I recently purchased a new laptop, okay, uh, but it was just a little $200 Asus E203NA, just this little computer, slow as hell. I mean, you really are very limited in what you can do with it. But one of the things was I didn't want to spend a ton of money on a new computer when, you know, like the processors that resolve, you know, effectively in the hardware that resolve, you know, the Spectre problems, uh, you know, were, were released. Like, I don't want to put down a few thousand dollars or how, or, you know, not hell, I wouldn't even put that down. I don't want to put down over a grand. Let's just put it that way. Uh, or even less, really. You know, I don't want to do anywhere between 600 and 1600 for a computer that, you know, is going to have performance hits because of this new variant of Spectre. There are performance hits. They've already, you know, Microsoft's talked about it and other companies have as well. Um, you know, I'm just not interested. <laughs> so I just got this cheap little computer, you know, cause I needed something to, 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 to carry around for, for varying reasons. Um, because the recent failure of other hardware, and that's the whole reason that I, that I bought it, you know, in this way, because I know like the Spectre thing has really got to get licked before I'm willing to put down some serious money on some serious, you know, some serious new, you know, computer hardware. Um, but yeah, that's the thing you may want to consider that. You know, if you're if you're in the market for a new computer, you might want to hold off a little bit. And don't think again, AMD is affected too. ARM is affected too. Okay, the only computer that seems to have gotten away seems to have gotten away unscathed is the Raspberry Pi. You know, and that doesn't cost you hundreds of dollars. That costs you fifty bucks or you know thirty five, and then you got to get whatever little equipment you want for it. Um, so yeah, keep that in mind. I mean, and and I I think that that's that's a great policy kind of going forward until you hear about these you know, Spectre hardened uh, processors to come out, uh, you know, hold off on spending, you know, a lot of money unless you really need it, you know, then go ahead. I mean, if you really, really have to have it, obviously, you know, you know, you can't wait, but if you can wait, I'd wait. And if you need like something in the interim, just get a cheap little, I don't know, get one of those like Acer E500s or whatever the hell those are that are like 600 bucks. I mean, that's a fine machine, you know, to last you a little while without having to put down a whole ton more cash. So, okay, uh, you know what? Actually, how about this? <laughs> I'm going to slide this. I'm going to slide this one in. I get to somebody cue the cue the damn music. Somebody cue glorious because <laughs> I was right. Okay. <laughs> and I've been right for years <laughs> and I'm going to talk about it. So do you remember hearing about the EM drive out of China? Now, we talked about it on the show. I took a whole segment. It was a story of the week. I talked about it. The claim was is that there was, <laughs> there was uh, an EM drive that 
you know, was in many ways like almost a perpetual motion machine that that created thrust from nothing, you know, just just generating its own magnetic field. Right. OK. And NASA started looking into it and they, you know, some of that, some of them were looking into it and they said, whoa, you know, some of the, some of the researchers were looking into it and they said, wow. Um, yeah, we can't explain exactly why this is doing this, but you know, this really, you know, to quote Scotty from Star Trek, you know, you cannot change the laws of physics. Right. I mean, and, and that's exactly, I mean, my claim was, I said, I was like, I don't know what's going on here. I said, but you know, something from the outside's causing this. I, like, there's no way that this is real. There's no way that this is happening. There's no way that this kind of engine actually exists. And I'll tell you, I got so many emails in from people saying, Brian, you got to stop buying the mainstream scientific line these kinds of things. I mean, and I've had to do this. I've had so many people, you know, and, and, and I wish I knew what episode it was that I talked about it, but it was however long ago um, that it was originally, uh, you know, announced. It had to have been, maybe it was 2016, maybe even 2015, something like that. But I've had so many people like send me in videos, but well, look at this. This guy, you know, uh, has did, um, uh, what do they call it? Like, not cold cathode, whatever, you, you know, these, these different things. And I, and the guy, you know, shares me the video. It's like, see, he started a perpetual motion machine effectively. And he has, he's generating unlimited energy with this little device and you can buy the kit for $50 and yada, 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 yada. And, you know, you show me the video and I'm like, wait a minute, does he ever unplug the device? You know, cause yeah, he's got to start it from, from plugging it in, but he's, does he ever unplug it from the socket? Oh no. Oh, he doesn't. Well, then it's not generating its own energy, is it? You know, I mean, <laughs> or its own electricity. And it's, oh man, guys, <laughs> yeah, yes. I mean, there, there are things, you know, like a lot of, when it comes to physics, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's still getting hammered out and meted out, but there are some things that, you know, are at such a level of high precision that we're able to do the remarkable things as, as a species that we do, you know, go sending shit into space, going to the moon, doing all this. Yes, we went to the moon, deal with it. Okay. Doing it. Yeah. And the earth is round too. Okay. I just want you to make sure you're aware of that. And you know, cause apparently that's news to people. Um, you know, all these other things because the laws of physics are, the math is so well figured out with a lot of these. Okay. Um, and, and I just, you know, there was no way that this EM drive worked. Well, it turns out some German engineers got their hands on it. And yeah, it's bullshit. The EM drive is absolute bullshit. Um, effectively, what's going on is it is using like there, there's a leak, <laughs> as it were, in what in what the in you know what the the thrust can can is is taking in, and it's actually acting off of the electromagnetic field of the Earth itself. Now, what's the problem with that? Here's the problem. The problem is is that you can't take the Earth with you when you go to outer space. Okay. <laughs> And you're not going to generate your own electromagnetic fields. Like, and there's not a bunch, I mean, sure. There's electromagnetic fields to some degree out there in space, you know, all over the place, but, um, but you're not, you, you can't take advantage of that. Like this, this doesn't work. It's not, it's not make, it's not doing, uh, you know, what the claim said, but I'll put a link in the show notes. You can read more about it. Bottom line being that EM drive is bullshit. And I told you it was bullshit. I, I said, there's just no fucking way that that does what it, you know, that, that that's generating thrust out of nowhere. There's no way. And it's not, it's using, you know, <laughs> it's using magnetic fields. Right. But anyway, um, let's get on to another story here. Now this one, this is one where I want to be a little careful. Okay. Because it is very new as in this is getting recorded on May 26th, uh, 2018. And 
the story comes from May 25th, 2018. Usually on Sovereign Tech, I like to let things settle a bit so that we can actually get the real story, you know, the, the reality of the situation. All right, because often, you know, news sources, especially even tech news sources, are just are reactionary, you know, and government claims are usually lies or pretty much almost always lies, right? <laughs> But but usually they're lies, uh, at least when it, and because most of them don't know jack shit about tech for to, in the first place. But anyway, so the story came out uh, and the FBI was telling people and now I think it's gotten to the point uh, based on some stories about this. It's gotten to the point that the FBI is telling all kinds of, or is telling everybody in America to reboot your router because of a malware called VPN filter, which they are claiming is now here's where you got to be real careful with wording, right? So the way news sources are putting it out there, and I'm sure the way the government's putting it out there is they're saying it's the Russians, right? Now, what the hell does the Russians mean? Okay. First off, and I've said this many times, like, I mean, the Russians are once again, you know, it's not the eighties anymore, but once again, they are the whipping boy of every problem in America. Okay. And that's fucking ridiculous. And, you know, I have, I have tons and tons of listeners that are out of the, the, the thousands and thousands of you that are, that live, that are Russian, live in Russia. And, you know, hats off to you boys and gals and Z's and, you know, whatever you can get away with there, uh, hats off to you. Okay. So what does the Russians mean? Well, the implication is, is that it's the Russian government. Now, what seems to be somewhat provable is that it is coming from some kind of hacker group in Russia, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the Russian government, right? You want to be careful when you throw around terms like the Chinese or, uh, you know, the Russians or something like that, because really, what are you talking about? Are you talking about the Chinese government or the Chinese people? Are you talking about the Russian government or the Russian people, right? You want to be very particular, you know, with that sort of thing. If you need to be, if you want it, I mean, you can just say the Chinese, if you're talking about Chinese people that, you know, nothing wrong with that. Um, you, you know, and you could say the Russians, if you're talking about people that live in Russia. Okay, fine. But if you're talking about, but that's the news, you know, the mainstream news doesn't work that way. They just like to toss out the word Russians because it fills everybody with a sense of dread because of, uh, you know, cultural nostalgia in America. Okay. Uh, all of which the reality around any of that is a whole other situation. And the reality around this is a whole other situation around VPN filter. So at least 500,000 devices uh, are affected by this. Many, many device types of routers, Linksys routers, uh, quite a few others. Um, Cisco's Talos team is the one that discovered it. And it it's created a VPN filter has created a botnet uh, to do what? Well, we're not exactly sure. I'm guessing DDoSing. You know, that's usually what a botnet is for. Um, but that's that's the claim. And like I said, the, you know, they seem to be able to, to point that, OK, it is some kind of hacker group out of Russia, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the Russian government. They say, well, but this is so sophisticated that it must be an advanced nation state actor. Um, I don't think that kind of statement can be made just because of the sophistication of something that it has to be a nation state actor anymore. Uh, that's just not true. OK, you know, when you've got 15 year olds cracking, you know, hardware Bitcoin wallets or hell, was it 15? Maybe it was like an 11 year old. I, I forget what the age was of that, of that kid that I think, you know, was just amazing. Um, you know, when you got that kind of thing going on, I mean, <laughs> that's the nature of centralized systems like the internet itself is that the shit is not infinitely scalable, but for all intents and purposes, infinitely scalable where one or two people can do things that, you know, previously took hundreds 
or thousands or whatever, you know, I mean, like you, you really can't tell. Uh, and, and so I don't, you know, I don't buy into this argument that sophistication equates, you know, that, oh, it has to be a government that did this or something like that. Um, I, I don't see why that is immediately the argument to go to. So not that I'm defending the Russian government. I'd never do that. Uh, I won't defend any government. I'm an anarchist for fuck's sake. So, but regardless, um, that's the claim that's going around. And yes, so VPN filter is absolutely a real thing. Uh, it will significantly slow down your router. In fact, uh, like I said, I'm on location. The router here, I believe, was actually infected by it because generally uh, the speed is 25 uh, you know, Mbps down and 25 up. Okay, so 25 down, 25 up. Yesterday, you know, again, when all this was suddenly getting reported, uh, it was like, I mean, it was just, it was, it was like a crazy low number. And you can, I mean, you can see the effects, you know, you power up Netflix and everything's very fuzzy and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I, I, I mean, and so the first thing, I mean, without knowing about VPN filter, you know, being a thing, uh, obviously, you know, I plugged and unplugged the router. And then after that happened, things seemed to be okay. And as, you know, as of today, I mean, like, like speeds are, are, you know, more at that 25, 25 down, 25 up level. So, yeah, I mean, this is a legitimate thing. Now, am I going to go and blame the Russians for this? Uh, fuck no. Like the first person that I'm going to blame when anything bad happens in America is the American government. Okay. You know, the NSA, whoever, you know, somebody, one of their teams, uh, you know, put out some, some shit and, and they, <laughs> and they fucked it up. <laughs> But it does genuinely work as, as far as we can see, it does genuinely work to just, you know, un unplug your router for what, you know, a minute and a half, they usually say, and then you plug it back in and, and everything, you know, that deact that, that kills it. Um, but yeah, I don't know what to make of this. I don't want to talk about it much. I just want to recognize that it's out there and just say, it's probably not the Russians. It's probably, you know, if, if you're in the United States, it's your own government doing it. Um, so <laughs> they just love to blame the Russians on everything that they do. Uh, I mean, because what? Is there a government out there that's any less egregious than the other? Not really. <laughs> Not at the end of the day. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, so that's the VPN filter. That's the thing. Um, as more info comes out, maybe we'll talk about it. It's pretty interesting. I mean, this is a pretty high scale uh, attack that I think a lot of people are or exploit that a lot of people are feeling. Um, I was shocked. This is one of the first times I've ever seen this sort of thing go on. Um, again, I'm on location, you know, it's not, not with, not with my own setup. So, but, uh, yeah, fascinating stuff. So, yeah, I mean, and that's all there is to say about it. Cause I don't know why or what, or, you know, I mean, we know that it's, it's a botnet, you know, and that it's malware. Sure. But as far as the purpose behind it and things like that, I mean, for right now, all we can say is, wow, this is very interesting. And, uh, you know, this is why we need to get to that peer to peer future, right? Of course it is. So anyway, uh, let's get on to what I guess could be considered our main story for uh, for this week. And it's going to be the main story mainly because so many of you sent this in uh, for me to talk about. And I first heard about it. Uh, I had someone, well, people sent it to me on Twitter. People sent it to me all over the place. But I think it showed up in like in the Explore feed on Twitter, which I usually don't look at. But it just so happened to uh, to pop up on there. And wow, what a story. And originally when I, you know, originally when I first found it, the only people reporting it were actually the local news for these people. It was like Fox 13 or something, uh, which an interesting thing, you know, talking about mainstream news, a lot of the more interesting journalism that's happening is actually happening from the local level. But because of 
you know, the, the, the widespread, or, the, you know, the, not just widespread, but the pervasive reach of the internet, uh, you know, a local news station can reach everybody. You know, everybody can read their stories and find out about their stories. And I, I find it pretty fascinating that it's a lot of local news uh, organizations that are actually, you know, coming up with the really interesting, uh, you know, bits of news and that they're reporting on, obviously, because they want to make a name for themselves, right? You know, as compared to the big boys, like, it's amazing how many great tech stories are coming out of some like local, I don't know, whatever, CBS News or NBC News or something that, again, a local chapter of, you know, local ver version of it um, as compared to, you know, like the larger, like with tech, like tech journalists, like Ars Technica, not Ars is kind of a little more palatable to me, but, you know, TechCrunch and some of these other ones. It's interesting that, again, that, that it's coming from the more local levels who, again, these are people that are trying to make a name for themselves and, and they're they're willing to report on the perhaps wilder stories or stories that don't seem to be being believed. And this is one where people aren't exactly believing it. There's a lot of use of the word alleged, which that's great. I'm glad when people want to use the term alleged and be very careful in the claims that are being made, especially when they're pretty far out like this one is. I don't think it's far out. I think it's totally possible. And we've already theorized and said that this would happen. Um, but I worry that the reason that a lot of the bigger uh, news organizations are using the term alleged is because they are scared to death of pissing off Amazon because this has to do with none other than Alexa. A uh, story I have here is actually from Slate and it's Alexa recorded a couple's private conversation and sent it to a contact by Rachel Withers here from uh, May 24th, 2018. I'm going to read a little bit of it. Uneasy smart home inhabitants have long wondered whether their obliging devices are quietly eavesdropping on their private conversations. After all, if your smart speaker is listening for its wake word, doesn't that mean it's always listening? Now people's paranoia appears to have been confirmed, and then some, with Seattle local news station Kiro 7 reporting that a Portland family's Echo recorded their private conversation and then sent it as an audio file to someone in their contact list. A former smart, th smart home enthusiast, former, by the way, <laughs> Stallion breaking in, named only as Danielle, told Kiro7 that she and her husband recently received a call from her husband's employee in Seattle telling them to unplug their Echo immediately. The employee then went on, then went on to tell the couple that he had received recordings of their mercifully mundane chit-chat, a conversation about hardwood floors, which Danielle and her husband had been having. Uh, it's not clear from the report whether the employee received the audio files as a text message, email, or voicemail. Danielle called it a total invasion of privacy and says she won't be connecting her numerous Echo Dots ever again. Um, Danielle is clearly spooked, as are many Twitter users who say they too are disconnecting their devices. It's the creepiest thing Alexa has done since its phase of random and unprompted cackling, another incident that led users to unplug. Of course, what they're talking about there, Stanley breaking in, is how Alexa would confuse the command to laugh and out of nowhere, you know, like you'd say, you would, you wouldn't say anything that, that meant to laugh, but she would translate or, you know, interpret it as such. And Alexa's, you know, echoes were just suddenly laughing all over the place. Amazon, of course, has fixed that, but that was very creepy for people and, and for people and completely understandably, of course. Um, when Danielle called, reading on the story, when Danielle called Amazon over the incident, the company went through her logs and confirmed that the files had been sent 
It did not, however, say why. From Kiro Seven's report, quote, they said, quote, our engineers went through your logs and they say exactly what you told us. They saw exactly, or they saw exactly what you told us. They saw exactly what you said happened, and we're sorry. End quote. He apologized like 15 times in a matter of 30 minutes, and he said, "We really appreciate you bringing this to our attention. This is something we need to fix." But Danielle says the engineer did not provide specifics about why it happened or if it's a widespread issue. An Amazon representative told Kiro7 that, quote, Amazon takes privacy very seriously. We investigated what happened and determined this was an extremely rare occurrence. We are taking steps to avoid this from happening in the future, end quote. Um, so uh, s- seemingly confirming the eerie error. So so Kiro7, you know, called, called up Amazon and said, hey, can you confirm that this shit happened? And this, the response seems to confirm, yes, this absolutely happened. An Amazon Echo recorded a conversation that was not for the Echo. It had to do with hardwood floors. Fortunately, it was something mundane. And it got sent off to this to somebody on these people's uh, contact list. It happened. Let's read on a little more. So something happened here. But it's not clear exactly what caused this, quote, extremely rare occurrence, end quote, and whether it's worth panicking over. The details in the Kuro 7 report are sparse, with no mention of whether the indicator light came on, uh, what the wake word, the thing you say to make Alexa listen for command was, or what the name of the employee was. Could Alexa have misinterpreted something the couple said about flooring as a request to call or send a voice memo to the contact? The laughing incident was supposedly a series of false positives, which led Amazon to disable the easily misheard command Alexa laugh. In a 2017 incident, a smart speaker called the police on a domestic abuser when it misinterpreted, did you call the sheriffs? As call the sheriffs. Danielle's conversation with the Amazon engineer would seem to indicate this was a this was a case of misunderstood messages. Quote, he told us that the device just guessed what we were saying, end quote, she told the news station. Kiro7 reports that the digital assistant didn't audibly announce what it was doing, something that the device is programmed to do. Could it have been a hack then? Researchers have found that hackers can send secret commands to digital assistants undetectable to the human ear through white noise or music. They can even mute the device first so the owner won't hear the AI respond. Or was Amazon itself secretly logging the chat in an attempt to sell the couple some building supplies with the transmission an embarrassing blunder rather than a creepy computer? With limited information, it's hard to know exactly what went wrong here. Whatever the case, Alexa shouldn't be so record button happy. One thing is for certain, though it shouldn't really come as a surprise to anyone, Alexa hears all, and she's always ready to listen. And that's a great point by, by Slade at the end there. I mean, look, here's the thing, is that, yes, it's, to- you know, it's totally believable that somewhat secretly, perhaps, and this isn't meant to be malicious, that, you know, not necessarily, that Alexa was hearing a conversation about hardwood floors and ooh that sounds like a product i mean that's something that amazon would bake into an algorithm right is that okay you know into machine learning so i want you to learn you know listen for you know program right into alexa alexa listen for this is coming down from amazon listen for when people are talking about this product this product this product so that we can start selling them this product right that makes sense that they would do that. Oh, it's very efficient, I'm sure a lot of people would say. Isn't that wonderful that it was listening to me to, you know, to be able to sell me something better? Because, you know, the whole purpose in life is to just buy shit all the time. Like, that's, you know what I mean? Like, what? why even bother doing anything else? Don't have sex. Don't do this. Just watch TV and buy shit. You know, that that's the meaning of life, right? According to uh, to a lot of people. And you know who I'm talking about. 
horseshit, of course, but, uh, you know, I'm being sarcastic. But anyway, great, it did that. Well, guess what else it did? It sent off that conversation to to someone that was not Amazon. It sent it off to, I mean, folks, what did you expect? I mean, I, I think I, I think my listeners, listeners to Sovereign Tech, I think you're just waiting for it to happen. You know, I think you're a smart bunch. I think you know. Okay, and you're just like, yeah, it's just a matter of time before Alexa records something crazy and sends it off to somebody, right? Because, I mean, it, honestly, the instant that Alexa came, you know, had that call functionality between Alexas, I mean, shit, I was just waiting for it, you know? And you say, oh, well, there's supposed to be a notification, there's supposed to be this. I mean, I mean, that's the thing, too, is that, like, all of these dice, all of these devices, you know, the more devices you have, we, we talk about this. We talk about software minimalism. Well, let's talk a little bit about hardware minimalism, sh- shall we? That's a, here's a new concept for you uh, to consider, okay? Hardware minimalism is the idea that the more devices you have that are internet connected, the more gateways you have. Just like software minimalism, the more software you use, the more gateways you have to exploits against you. Hardware minimalism, same thing. Go ahead, keep buying more fucking internet-connected devices so that people just have more pathways to fuck with you, to screw your life, and, you know, to invade your very human liberties like privacy. Go ahead. Well, isn't it convenient that it can just play music and it plays my audiobooks around me and blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you, you know, you want to buy a device from Amazon? You, you love Amazon so goddamn much. Oh, Amazon has changed the world. We love Amazon. Yay, caps. Woo! Give me a break. But you want to give Amazon some money? Here, go buy a Kindle Oasis. You know, it's like 300, I don't know, they're about 300 bucks. Buy a Kindle Oasis. It can play, uh, it can play audiobooks from Audible. Anywhere, it can connect to a Bluetooth speaker or something. Isn't that nice? Good and portable. Battery life's phenomenal on that thing, except for when, really when it's connected to Bluetooth. I know because I have one. Um, but uh, yeah, you can play your audiobooks from that if, if that's your if that's your big argument because that thing has no cameras, no you know no no microphones on it, nothing of the sort. Okay, and 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 away you go, and you can you can do that with privacy. How about how about you try try that? Oh, but that's too expensive. Oh, well now you're hitting at something. Now this is where things start to get a little ugly, isn't it? This sort of thing, okay. I have talked about. Amazon and have warned about Amazon long before any other tech journalist did. I said that they would become the tech giant, which now everybody admits. I call it the Amazon World Domination Tour. I'm not going to, you can hear me talk about it in so many episodes, so I'm not going to go over it again here. Bottom line being is that, and in fact, recently, actually just back in March, you can go back to Sovereign Tech episodes in March where I talked a bit about this, or maybe it was in February, but it was just this year. Where I said that, you know, look, I, I think I think Jeff Bezos has really big plans for society, like really, really big fucking plans. Now, when something like this happens, okay, and his plans have to do with you know being a monopsony and all that, all this other shit, okay, and and maybe getting to uh, maybe like pushing UBIs and and things like that. Like I think I think I think Bezos is interested in Treconomics, and I think that's why he's pushing Treconomics is the idea of getting to a pseudo post scarcity or what he considers to be a post scarcity kind of future, okay. Um, and you can tell me that oh no, that's not possible. No, I look, I in many ways agree with you. Okay, I mean, pseudo post-scarcity is kind of a different thing. That's a whole other conversation. And you can go back and listen to those episodes where I talked about that so you can get my... So don't don't say, oh, I'm not going to listen to Brian Sovereign anymore. He, he believes in UBI or, or post-scarcity. No, 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 no. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that because you don't know what I think about those things. You have to go back and listen to those episodes, okay? 
to get my nuanced description on those. But I'll tell you one thing. I definitely don't agree with the UBI. Um, anyway, I think he has very big plans for where he wants society to go. Okay. And believe me, this guy is thinking about the entire planet. I mean, just read his tweets from Bezos and you know that that's what's going through his, you know, his mind as far as all this stuff goes. And this is a major part of that. I mean, the more data points that you can collect about people, probably the better he thinks that he can collate exactly what, what people need, want, and how to best distribute that, perhaps to get to what he thinks of as some kind of post-scarcity world. Bit of a theory on mine. But regardless of that, let's say that's not even what's going on. Let's just say he just wants to make all the fucking money he can, and he wants to wipe out every other business, and he just wants to become some kind of monopoly, some shit like that, okay? Let's just say that that's all it is. Let's forget about my whole little, uh, uh, my little theory that he's shooting for what's called Treconomics. There's a book about it. You can read it. It's actually a great book. Um, I'm not saying I agree with its conclusions, but it's a great book. Well thought out. Let's just say, you know, that this is just, you know, a way to, 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 to make a, you know, to sell stuff to people to, to, to be more efficient and all that. Okay, let, let, let's, let's keep it simple. Here's the problem with this. Okay. Now, if you don't, if you don't think privacy is necessary, okay, then you don't think privacy is necessary. I'd like to know why you at the same time have a problem with people not wearing clothes and walking around in the nude, if that's so. But that's another conversation too. The problem here is that Amazon, you can say like people are, like this is great. People apparently on Twitter and who knows if they're even fucking real. People on Twitter are saying, oh, I'm dumping my Amazon device or, you know, my Echo. I'm, I'm not going to plug this in. I'm done with virtual assistants. I'm not going to have this shit anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm through with it. Like, like this is, this has gone too far. Okay. While some older people will find this creepy, guess who's not going to find this creepy? Who's not going to find this creepy are your children. Who's not going to find this creepy are the poor who think they have nothing to lose. And honestly, being able to buy a hundred dollar, this is where the cheap part comes in, right? Oh, you don't want to spend $300 on an e-reader. Oh, but you'll spend 50 bucks on an Echo Dot, won't you? Or 25 when it's on sale for Memorial Day or some kind of bullshit. Those kinds of people who will do, who are desperate just to feel normal and cool or to feel like the people that are on TV who are all talking to their virtual assistants and whatever else, okay, or all these quote-unquote, you know, rags-to-riches stories come out of Silicon Valley who, you know, they're the ones making these products, but then, of course, do they let their kids touch them? No. Do they have them in their house? Probably not. Um <sighs> Lifestyle obsession, okay? You, you get, you know, the poor people and children. No, they're going to be totally on board with this shit. And especially, like, the poor people's kids. And there's probably more poor people now than there ever have been. Or at least the divide is, is, is very broken up. I'm not going to get into the statistics around that because it doesn't change the point. Amazon is particularly selling products. Microsoft's not doing this. Apple's really not doing this. Google's not really doing this. Amazon singularly is a company that, and this is what I've talked about many times with the World Domination Tour, is that they will, they don't mind not turning a profit. And investors in Amazon don't mind that Bezos doesn't turn a profit for a decade because they know once he does turn a profit, it's a ridiculous profit. Like it's a very long game that they play. Well, here's the long game they're playing. Amazon specifically is gearing towards children. They even have, now they have an Echo that's specifically for kids. It's rubberized and all that stuff. And oh, kids, see, here's the thing. Kids don't understand. I, I think there is, I mean, humans have an innate understanding of their own liberties, like privacy and all that. But kids don't grasp 
how things like the Echo don't or do invade your privacy, how they do, uh, you know, make make you less secure and all this. They, they just they don't grasp this sort of thing. OK, but oh, they sell it for 50 bucks or, or hell. Amazon has interest free payments plans and, and you don't even have to get a credit check and everything. Again, people who want something really cool to give their kids for Christmas or something, they're going to buy into that. I've been in those lines. I remember walking into the dollar store once. OK, just to buy some batteries. So, you know, a dollar store worked for it because it was all for an experiment I was running. And I went in there and I was waiting in line. And this woman was like, I, I, I forget what device I pulled out of my pocket, you know, just to change the song or something. And the woman's like, oh, you know, what do you like? Do you recommend something like that for my kids? You know, is there one that's like really cheap? What does that cost? You know, and I told her whatever it costs, triple digits, something. Not that that's like a lot of money in the grand scheme. Right. But she's like, oh, that's too much. And I said, well, you know, I was like, you know, she's like, what do you, she starts to ask. I mean, she gets on this whole conversation. I don't know if I was, I wasn't wearing a shirt that said, hey, I'll fix your computer. I don't know what the, how the fuck she, she got on this with me. But anyway, but she starts saying, it's like, oh yeah, aren't those, those, aren't there's like Amazon tablets that are only 50 bucks. It's like, yeah, those are out there. You know, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll get a kid by or something. And this is a couple of years ago, whatever. But that's the point is that, you know, I mean, and then, and you could get that on a payment plan. You know, you get one of those $50 Kindle tablets on a fucking payment plan with Amazon and what you pay $10 a month. I mean, you know, even the poorest of people generally can, you know, can afford something like that and look at that for their kids. And then 20 years from now, all of those kids are going to be hooked into Amazon's ecosystem. And because nobody really owns anything anymore, you know, all of the video games are downloaded, right? Uh, all, you know, all the music is streamed, all this other stuff. It's all built in. You don't actually hold any of it. You don't actually own any of it. And so if you said to people, say, say it just gets so egregious in the next 10 years, even when these kids grow up and start entering the workforce, right? Say in the next 10 years, it just becomes so bad. You tell those kids, you tell a lot of people, you tell them that you need, you know, really, we need to stop giving Amazon money. We need to walk away from Amazon. We need to stop using Amazon devices and services. Those people are going to be left with nothing. They're really like, well, well, then what am I supposed to do? What, what the fuck? What kind of good time am I supposed to have? Do you, do you understand where, where this is going? Do you see the long game? You think it's all fine and dandy now because you're not looking out past, you know, the, the next five minutes. But in the next five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, people are hooked. I don't think we got to get into it, but uh, Amazon's Sumerian. You know, I'm going to tell you something that that's that's really tough for kind of a tough pill for me to swallow. Um, I haven't I haven't done my review yet. I want to do it for for a Sovereign Tech Prime episode. I haven't done my review of the I do have the um, the Oculus Go, which is the two hundred dollar uh, uh, Facebook you know, Facebook owns Oculus, but it's the $200 Oculus headset that works more or less independently. You don't have to jack your phone into it. I mean, it still connects to an app on your phone, but you don't have to plug your phone into it. You don't have to plug it into a computer or whatever. Um, I haven't gotten into the review of that yet, okay? But there's a reason that Facebook, and now you have Amazon, which they call it Amazon Sumerian, which I think is weird in of itself. I have a whole theory around why they're calling it Sumerian in the first place, okay? Uh, something that I've talked about in the past where, well, anyway, where mixed reality, augmented reality, and all that, you know, maybe that's something that existed a long time ago, okay? And that's where, like, magicians and, you know, magi and all these people have all these, like, hand signals because, really, that's, like, just something that they copied from perhaps an advanced civilization that was using a zero UI 
you know, system like augmented reality or something like that. Because it's very weird that Amazon say I'm tossing in these like really strange things that I'm not explaining at all. These strange theories that I'm not explaining at all. And I apologize for that. And you can ask me and I'll talk about them in a future episode if you really want, if you're really interested. But don't turn me off because you think something I'm saying is outlandish or strange. Because I guarantee you, I look into this stuff and I don't just say these things willy-nilly. But you have Amazon Sumerian. They are banking really hard on virtual reality. Facebook's obviously banking really hard on virtual reality, or mixed reality more particularly, where it's virtual or augmented. Microsoft is banking pretty hard on this. Google's pretty hard on it. Apple is figuring things out. Okay, now why is this? Why, you know, why are they doing that? And, and this is, you know, I've been such a strong proponent of virtual reality for such a long time. I've been such a fan. I've been a fan since I was a kid, you know, and I put on the Virtual Boy from Nintendo and that wasn't even, that was barely even virtual reality, you know, or when I was reading the Tech War novels by William Shatner or something. And, you know, you got to figure out about it. You, <laughs> kids got to learn about Tech War sometime, <laughs> to quote The Simpsons. <laughs> but anyway, I've talked about Tech War in other, other episodes over the years. So, you know, I've been into this for a while, but unless we're going to have some kind of genuinely open VR standard that that doesn't necessarily work. And and I mean, an open or should I say open mixed reality standard? And I like because Amazon Sumerian is supposed to work with all the different headsets. It's a framework that's supposed to work with everything. Okay, it's a it's a platform for mixed reality. It'll work with Oculus, Vive, whatever it works with it all. I think that that these tech giants are banking on this so hard because literally they want to hook you in so much. They want to hook you into their very own version of reality. And I am very concerned about, you know, and look, I didn't even see Ready Player One. I mean, I've already read the book. It doesn't matter. Okay. It has, this has nothing to do with Ready Player One. But I've been such a strong proponent for so long on Sovereign Tech for mixed reality, for vir- well, virtual reality particularly, but mixed reality overall. Um, I, I don't like where a lot of this is going because with the, in conjunction with virtual assistants, which that's a major, a major part of Amazon Sumerian and other things, um, these, these companies just want to take every ounce of fucking attention that you have. They want to, they want to create your, the very reality that you experience. They really do. And that's not okay. I think, you know, the idea of mixed reality and things like this are very interesting. And, you know, there's, there are genuinely great therapeutic and entertaining implementations that could be made out of them. But I don't trust a single one of these fucking companies with it. Not, not now, not now. I mean, I'm, I'm still, I'm still on, I'm still going to mess with it. I'm still going to keep an eye on it, but I am going to do so with a very firm grip on actual reality compared to what the fuck all these, you know, companies want to trap you in. I mean, it just, it really, like, it it hit home for me with this Alexa story, you know, where this is, I mean, and I've talked, look, I've done write-ups about this. You can find them on Medium, uh, on my old website and everything. I wrote about how Amazon Underground and all this stuff, I I, I mean, I, I just came around and said, I said, look, folks, they're coming for your children. Amazon, Facebook, all, they're coming for your children. Because while you might find all this stuff to be egregious, when you find out that Alexa sending off a conversation about hardwood floors, while that's enough for you to throw your, your echo into the trash can, when you start taking away everything that these kids, that, that kids or that, that future grownups experience, streaming music, video games, movies, whatever the fuck else. I mean, look at what Amazon Prime's doing, right? You know, Prime Video. 
And that's another thing too. I mean, they're concentrating so hard on science fiction right now that, you know, I think they're trying to prep you for whatever world Jeff Bezos wants to create, whether it's reality or virtual. Um, but you, you know, those, those people 10 years from now, they're not going to throw away anything. Are you kidding me? They'd be throwing away their lives. They're, they're going to throw away everything they've ever put money into. And it's all so ephemeral. Today, more than any other time, we need a really, really firm grasp on actual reality. Okay. We need a really firm grasp and understanding of, I mean, because this is another part of it too. I'm going to, I'm going to go a little further. Okay. We'll get into the, we'll get into the solo review here in a second. I know we're over an hour. I am concerned that, I mean, like with a lot of this virtual assistant stuff, like I, I think a lot of these guys, and in fact, maybe the most hinting point of this is Zuckerberg getting his little headshot, you know, picture that made him look like Constantine the Great. Now, I've talked about Rome many times over the years, ancient Rome on, on Sovereign Tech. And I've talked about its remarkable accomplishments and what it's done. I love to talk about history. People know that about me. They, the fact that, we, that that has to be understood is that ancient Rome and its quote-unquote glory was absolutely built on the backs of slaves. Absolutely. That, I mean, you can go there. I've gone. You can explore the city. And it all looks so beautiful on the surface but then go beneath the surface. And I mean literally go beneath the surface. And you are going to see, when you go beneath the surface, you are going to see an entire other city. But it's not a city that was built for the Romans. It was not a city built for the effete, for the people to to enjoy all the uh, remarkable advancements that Rome had. It's a city where all of that was powered by slaves. Where the wheels were turned, where everything else was, you know, and I mean literally turned, uh, you know, where everything was grinded, you know, was ground and where everything was, I mean, that, that's where it all happened, where the water was pumped, where, where all the business and it was all done by humans. I think that a lot of the, a lot of the, you know, because this is the, this is the question, like, okay, where is all this going? Like, you know, when, when Sundar Pichai is at, you know, at Google I.O. and he's talking about duplex or when Microsoft is showing off Showice and how they can make phone calls for you and all this other stuff, you know, and it can it can order pizza for you. And, you know, and you have the echo that can bring everything to your home and all that. What's I mean, what the you know, so like what, where is all this going? Well, I'll tell you where I think. And this is my own theory. OK, I think all this is going is that they I think they, maybe they think they're doing something good. Maybe they think they're bringing, you know, they being the tech giants and obviously we're under corporatism. So I don't know if governments are a part of it either. Maybe they think they're bringing the future to everybody. Maybe Bezos thinks he's engaging in Treconomics and a post-scarcity future and all that. But I think what they think is that to do so, you have to have slaves to, to get to this next evolution of civilization. Okay. But they know, or I mean, hopefully they know that you can't have like like actual slaves, right? <laughs> you know, you can't have human slaves and that they're planning on doing it through robots, you know, or, or virtual assistants or all of this other stuff. Like they want to automate as much as they can. So, 
you know, that way you can get to that next big civil, you can create that next grand civilization because it seems like every grand civilization to some degree or other does end up getting built on slavery in some form or fashion. Some people would even argue that the industrial age and, you know, I mean, like taxation and things like that, that I mean, and I, I'm very careful in how I say that, that, you know, taxation is slavery and all such stuff. But I, I get where people are. I mean, I've seen the arguments, right? There's people who make those arguments is my point. And that they're looking to get to this future where, you know, robots or, you know, and whatever, I don't think it'll be androids. I mean, Amazon in 2019, they've got, they're going to have their, their initial, we talked about this a few episodes ago, where they're planning on, on having uh, effectively robots in the home and all this stuff. I mean, this is the direction that they're going and they're going to create just like this race of machine slaves. And you have to ask yourself if that's okay. What happens when one of these robots says, you know, does something outside of its programming, then, you know, is, is, are we allowed to enslave something that has agency like that? You know, was it slavery before? I mean, these are huge questions that we have to ask. And I don't know if people in Silicon Valley are asking you if they figure out where exactly, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I want to talk to the programmers. And I want to say like, what are you building? Like, what are you doing? Like, what's the big picture here? And you never really get the answer. I mean, we talked about like Google IO, um, or the 10, four event, a couple of years ago where, you know, it was very clear that everything, I mean, Google gave you a plan of what their future looked like. The thing was for that future to exist, everybody had to be using a Google device, right? Everybody had to have a Google mini or a Google home or whatever, you know, uh, to be able to allow for that to happen. But for everybody to do that, you know, you start trampling on human liberties when it comes to that. I mean, these big questions are really not getting asked as far as where is all of this going? Now, science fiction sometimes can explore where some of this goes, okay? But even that, well, the science fiction is getting, here's the problem with that, okay? So science, because I said this before, science fiction is so important. It is the singular most important genre of, you know, entertainment, transmitting information than anything. I mean, like, you don't, you don't treat it as fact, but you do treat it as a critique upon fact, as a, as, as a, a response, a theory around fact, Right? Because science fiction, what a lot of people don't get about it is because it allows for us to have this, to create a theoretical framework around what we're doing, especially in today's world when things change by the nanosecond. So science fiction is very important because it allows us to ask the big questions like Black Mirror, Twilight Zone, shows like this where, you know, what, what, if, what, what if we question this part of culture? What if we question this technology? What if we do this? Well, here's the problem. The tech giants that are bringing these very technologies that we should be questioning, the tech giants that are bringing the very, fu the very future that we should be questioning whether or not we will actually want this, well, Amazon, they're the ones making the goddamn entertainment. They're the ones making the science fiction today. Now, I mean, independent people can make it, thankfully, but what are most people going to talk about? Well, they're going to talk about what's on Amazon Prime. They're going to talk about what's on Netflix. They're going to talk about what's on Apple TV, maybe. They're going to talk about all that other shit. That should terrify you. When the companies that are create that are in a very real way creating the world around you and the way that it works, which Amazon, one could argue, I don't, I don't think that's a stretch. I think you can make that claim as, as factual. When they start making the entertainment, including the entertainment that is potentially like what allows you to understand and critique and be concerned about what all this can do and what it can become. Yeah. That should bother the fuck out of you. It really should because they're not being honest. 
and they're steering people in certain directions. Is it weird? I mean, this is one of the things where, where I came up with the idea that I think Bezos is trying to create some kind of like weird, uh, uh, p- some kind of post-scarcity future. I mean, he, he bought up the culture series and he's making, you know, a, a TV series out of the culture series, which is all about this science fiction post-scarcity world. Of course, it's also an anarchistic one, but what if they're not going to inject the anarchism into it? That'll be interesting to see if they do that with the culture series. This is very concerning when these companies really are controlling so much of what gets put before your eyes or in your ears. Watch out. I'm telling you. Good. I'm glad that this generation is saying, okay, I'm throwing out my Alexa. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, you know, I mean, the kids aren't going to understand it. As stewards of little humans, let's make sure we educate them on these sorts of things. And don't don't sell off your kids to these fucking companies' ecosystems. Don't you dare fucking do it. Don't sell off their future that they could create themselves, the beautiful future that they could create themselves, that, innate, that, that empowers them as an individual, not as some goddamn corporation. Anyway, whew, uh, you know, talk about you know, I mean, like, like this, this should be so, so, so apparent. Like the fact that these companies, knowing that all of these cracks happen, all these crazy things happen with Alexa, so few of them actually get on board with any kind of serious encryption. You know, they don't when the encryption exists and it's because they got to have that data. They have to collect all that. Okay. So one of the first things, if you want to look for, yeah, well, what tech can I use? Look for the tech that's doing encryption, right? Let me tell you something. Here's one that is sovereign tech sponsor. Let's do a little sponsor read Zencash. Zencash, this, you, you want to talk about a real platform? Fuck that Amazon Sumerian shit. Let's get to the real goods, okay? Zencash is a full-on platform. It's a cryptocurrency. It's, uh, you know, it's a publishing platform. It's a messaging platform. It's got so much going for it. I mean, it could potentially be an alternative internet if it goes that far. I mean, it, it's amazing what Zencash has going on and what they're doing to empower activists and individuals overall. Okay, Zencash.com. That's the website you want to check out. It's a blockchain technology. I don't get excited about many. This is one that I get excited about. And you want to talk about encryption? It's like, oh, but Stanley, do they, do, are they doing encryption? Even Bitcoin doesn't really do encryption, not or at least it doesn't do anonymity, right? Well, they've got it. And they're using, of course, ZK Snarks. They're using zero knowledge proofs, which is the incredible scientific breakthrough in, in cryptography uh, today. I mean, just so, so exciting. So you want to, if you want to get on, okay, what do I start using? How do I get away from this company? How do I get away from this future and all this bullshit that they're trying to push on me and pedal on me? Here's what you do. You go to Zencash.com and you get started. They've... They, Though it's, it explains it all there. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And this stuff gets easier by the day. And they have great wallet systems for the further cryptocurrency for Zencash and everything. And the Zen platform is just so exciting. Get ready for this. Check it out, Zencash.com. And I thank them for sponsoring Sovereign Tech. Real quick, just another uh, a Sovereign Tech sponsor, because I want to get right into our solo review. Um, if you want to keep an eye on, say, the price of Zencash or maybe some of Zencash's uh, uh, compatriots, I don't want to even consider them competitors because why not? Let's have thousands of cryptocurrencies. That's fine with me. You want to go to CryptoCompare.com. Check out CryptoCompare.com. Get on board with what's happening there. Uh, they, I mean, they will keep track of all the prices for all of for these thousands of cryptocurrencies, as well as keep you up with the latest news, the latest developments and software for a lot of it. It's just it's such a wonderful website. CryptoCompare.com. I keep that tab running almost all the time. Uh, you will too when you go there. I mean, it's, it's just such a rich resource and so handy to have. CryptoCompare.com. And I thank them for sponsoring... Sovereign Tech. 
Okay, let's get into, you know, <laughs> we just, we went into the realm of science fiction. So maybe it's, it's fitting that we get into uh, a science fiction, a major science fiction release, uh, even though some people would call Star Wars uh, science fantasy. And certainly I can under earth, they would call it like space opera, or they would just say it's straight up fantasy uh, or space fantasy, something like that. And I certainly understand those arguments. I still, I, you know, look, I'm from, I'm from the eighties. Okay, the 80s and 90s, you know, I was born in 81. I'm from the 80s where if, if something had a spaceship, it was science fiction. You know, now everybody can, oh, no, it's actually this genre and it's this genre. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Go for it, folks. Like, you know, have fun splitting your genres. That's okay. Uh, I like division. I mean, the, <laughs> right? Here's a scientific principle for you. Uh, the order of nature is to diverge. Isn't that an ironic statement? The order of nature is to diverge. But, <laughs> but anyway, you know, go ahead, diverge. That's, that's awesome, all right? But for me, if it has spaceships, and Star Wars is fucking loaded with those, it's science fiction, okay? <laughs> so, but uh, I'll say again, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, okay? Because I cannot guarantee that I won't mention something that's some kind of spoiler. But like I said earlier, with Solo, a Star Wars movie, which is the movie we're going to cover here, okay? Um, like, all of this is kind of known. Like, you're just waiting to figure out how it happened. In fact, it's one of the reasons that this movie, uh, which just came out on May 25th, 2018, though a lot of people probably saw it on May 24th, and there's people that had seen it a week previous or so, uh, you know, because midnight shows, or now it's like 7.30 p.m. shows, right? <laughs> um so Solo, A Star Wars Story was a movie that a lot of Star Wars fans, even even your diehard Star Wars fans, myself included, felt that, you know, we don't really need this because we know, like we, we have a very real idea of how Han Solo got where he is. We got the hints from The Empire Strikes Back about how he ended up with the Millennium Falcon, that he got it from Lando Calrissian, right? I mean, like a lot of these things we just know. And why are you giving us, why are you spending so much time making this movie when there may be so many other interesting things or mysteries that we genuinely don't know the answers to, or we don't even have a clue as to how it happened and, and things like this. Um, like, I mean, how many people are dying for, and I know we're never going to get it, uh, even though in the old expanded universe before Disney bought out uh, Star Wars and then rebooted the entire canon, which is an important thing to understand back in 2013. Um, even in the, you know, in the old expanded universe, they started to seem to get into it with, was it Dawn of the Jedi? I think Dawn of the Jedi was the series where they were exploring how did the Jedi come to be? How did the Force, like, you know, what's the origin of this whole concept of the Force and everything? And then even that series didn't actually explain shit. It was still just a fucking mystery. It was, it was, it was cool in ways, and then it was all so goddamn pointless. But, like, you know, I know we're never going to get that movie where, okay, no, let, why don't we make an origin movie for The Force? Like, how is that a thing? Okay. Um, now, there's a lot of... So, with Solo Star Wars Story, yeah, I mean, people felt, th this is pointless. Why are we even doing this? And it really wasn't until they released that last trailer, that last full trailer. I mean, there's a ton of TV spots, but that last full trailer in April. When I finally saw that, I was like, yeah, you know... Okay, now I'm kind of excited for this. I'm kind of feeling like, yeah, I want to see this movie. This looks interesting. Okay. Um, so, but again, we knew, I mean, like a lot of the things and even a lot of the surprises and a lot of like saying when you go to the theaters to see this and there's points where people go, <gasps> a lot of that stuff is stuff that, like I mentioned earlier in the show, if you, you know, if you're a major Star Wars fan, if you're at least somewhat passing beyond, you know, just passing beyond the movies, as far as a Star Wars fan, 
then you already knew this stuff. Like a lot of this, you, you really, you already knew. It's already been described in some form or fashion, okay? So I don't, so it's tough to say what's a spoiler here. There's, it's not, I mean, like there's, there's, there's a lot of twists and turns in this movie. Definitely feels like your kind of Western train heist film, and those always get a little more interesting with spoilers. Some of the, some, or not with spoilers, with, with turns, you know, like character turns and stuff like this, all of which people expected from statements made in the trailers, you know, like, uh, like uh, the character that Woody Harrelson plays, Tobias Beckett, where he says something to the effect of, you know, don't trust anybody, you know, everyone will turn on you, and, you know, as long as you know that, you know, you'll never be disappointed, right? He makes that kind of line. So everybody's expecting for some kind of like, you know, for what in the wrestling biz you would call like a heel turn or something, right? Or a face turn, whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think you can really spoil this film. You know, it's just something that you kind of have to see and and see what you end up making of it, you know, after uh, after seeing it. So let's talk about the movie overall. I'm not going to go so much into the story. There's not a whole lot to say. Like I said, it's it's more or less, you know, a Western kind of train heist film, um, even though it only comprises, unfortunately, and this is one of the, one of the few bad things I, I'm actually going to say about the movie, is it doesn't have enough, shall we say, train heists or, or heists, you know, that, that happen within it. There really only seem to be a couple uh, that occur throughout the film as to where I would like to see a lot more uh, you know, I would have liked to have seen a little more seedy elements and a little more uh, outlaw actions and attitudes and everything uh, that, that the movie kind of was hinting at it was going to deliver, even from the opening, but in many ways it doesn't. So let's talk about that first. Speaking of the opening, let's let's get into this, okay? Yeah, or I mean, real quick. Yes, this is a prequel, okay? The, or, I mean, it's effectively a prequel. They just won't call it a prequel. Just like Rogue One is technically a prequel. They just won't use the term prequel. Uh, Disney being they. And this takes place, I think it opens up 10 years before episode four, before A New Hope. Okay. Before, you know, the, the first quote unquote, first Star Wars movie that came out in 77. Right. So it's 10 years before, and then it fast forwards like three years. So the bulk of the movie takes place seven years before um, a new hope. Now I think that, I think that's accurate. Unfortunately, I, I, I pre-ordered the, uh, visual, uh, the visual guide as well as the art book. And I think that's all they did was a visual guide and an art book. They didn't do an incredible cross sections like they do with the, uh, episodic films, but I pre-ordered those, but again, I'm on location. So, you know, they arrived while I was on location. <laughs> so I didn't get the chance uh, to look at those to get a lot of the finer details. But um, I will see those before we do the Star Wars update, which is a Patreon-only uh, once-a-month thing that I do with my co-host, Robin, who uh, he and I, we just get sweaty about Star Wars. We talk it up. We talk about the news, and we do reviews of books, comics, movies, everything. And obviously, we'll be talking about Solo quite a bit. Um, that episode will be coming out uh, end of this month, end of May. So if you want to become a patron and get access to that, again, SovereignTech.com. But anyway, so so I think I got the dates right on that. All right, so now this movie opens up 10 years before A New Hope. And the opening, the, the, the technicals of the opening is important to talk about because the last Star Wars story labeled film, which are like these side films like Rogue One, which was the original or the first Star Wars, you know, it's because it's Rogue One, a Star Wars story, which is the first um, a side film, as it were, one of the first, one of the initial complaints that people had for that movie is that the opening was very jarring because you get a lot, you know, it opens up, you get the a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then kind of nothingness, right? 
And eventually, like, it just shows Krennic's shuttle, you know, doing its business. And, like, that's kind of it. And then you get this opening sequence that takes place sometime in the past. And, or a few years previous to what the rest of the movie would take place in. Kind of similar to Solo Star Wars story. But then all you get is the title sequence. And it's, I mean, you don't, you don't get a title sequence. You just get the title, Rogue One. And the font for, like, Rogue One was terrible and all that. So this movie opens up actually with some explanation. It opens up with some like saying, oh, it's a, you know, it's a time of a, of a lawless galaxy, you know, of outlaws and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And it's giving you some breakdown. It's telling you on the planet Corellia, which is where this movie opens up, uh, which is where we knew Han Solo was from. So again, it's one of those things. I'm not spoiling shit for you. We know we've always known where Han Solo is from, right? That he's from Corellia um, and that he grew up there. So, you, you know, it, it's it's opening on Corellia. It talks about this character, Lady Proxima, that, you know, is controlling this part of the planet, blah, 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 blah. You, you get this, you, and, but it was good. And then you get like this opening sequence where like there's there's a chase going on. Okay, all stuff that you've seen in the trailers is a chase going on. And then kind of the solo a Star Wars story in very, you know, usual Star Wars fonting, title fonting comes up. That worked very well. That was a far less jarring you know, you got a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Then you, you continue down with the blue letters explaining where you are in this story. And I thought that that was so important. That was so needed. Rogue One should have done the same damn thing. Um, but clearly Lucasfilm slash Disney learned their lesson and they did that right. Uh, so the the opening, which is a major complaint for Rogue One, is not a complaint for Solo with Star Wars story. So good for them. I mean, that's important to bring up. We'll, we'll just start from the beginning with that. Um, moving on from, from that part of it, okay, from the opening. That was cool. Uh, in fact, like, I really like how Solo with Star Wars story kind of like came in from the scene. Like they didn't even, because like with Rogue One, they just went to like a space scene and then just kind of had the title come forward on you. I liked where it was built into the, the title of the movie was built into the action. Uh, it worked very well. I, I think it'd be fine if they did that for honestly, almost every Star Wars movie from here on out, ex- except for the episodic films. I still think me personally, it's a Star Wars film. This didn't even open up with the Star Wars theme. Neither did Rogue One. I still think you could open these movies with the Star Wars theme and with the opening crawl. Every comic book opens with it. Novels used to kind of almost open with it. I mean, like, there's no reason not to do that. I, But the way that they did it for Solo Star Wars, or for Solo, I'll just call it Solo, for Solo worked. It, it was fine. Like, if they wanted to differentiate it, yeah, this was about, you know, one of the better ways to, to go ahead and, and do it. It certainly wasn't as jarring as Rogue One. So... Okay, while we're on that, one of my first things when I review a movie on Sovereign Tech, and I do that often, okay, but even though, again, we do these Star Wars reviews every time there's a new Star Wars movie, uh, you know, again, it's a Sovereign Tech tradition, okay, because, you know, these are big deals. I'm a huge Star Wars, I mean, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, like, I know my shit, okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about the music, okay, while, while we're on that. So, with the music, again, you don't get the Star Wars theme in it at all, Um this was also not the first Star Wars film to, I mean, not really, not by a long shot, if you, if you count all of anything made Star Wars. This is not the first Star Wars film to not have John Williams at the helm. Rogue One had Michael Giacchino, who I think did a great job, even though some people disagree. Uh, this had John Powell, who, not an unknown quantity, John Powell has done, you know, interesting scores in the past. 
But I got I got to tell you. So well, John Williams did do the opening, which was called the Adventures of Han Solo. Right? He did the Han Solo theme and all that. Like that's that's all him. Okay. And any other moment, and there are moments where cues from previous films, including the prequels, interestingly enough, are in this. Uh, you know that that's that's John Williams stuff, and there's no problem with any of that. When it comes in, it feels right at home. You know, there's a point where. Uh, and, and again, you see this in the trailers. No, so it's not really a spoiler. You have, you know, Hans, Han Solo, uh, you know, flying the Falcon. The Star Wars theme does play there uh, more. It, great. You know, like that, that fits. Okay. <laughs> you know, but the, all of the original music by John Powell in this, I thought it was really lackluster, which is funny because a lot of people thought that Rogue One's music was lackluster. I disagree. I left Rogue One humming a lot of different shit and certainly, you know, do the Vader scene and you know, which one I'm talking about at the end. Um, I, I was like that, that whole, you know, right. Like that whole thing, <laughs> like that was running through my head forever. I, I can't even like the, the music from this movie is so forgettable, you know, other than the, the bits of classic John Williams stuff. It's absolutely forgettable. Like, I mean, it's, it's downright disappointing. And not only that, to add insult to injury, the soundtrack release is, is really pathetic. Like, like, there's so much, there's so many things that aren't there, okay? And in fact, you don't even get the end titles, you know, uh, sequence uh, effectively in, in the soundtrack. Like, this is, a, this is really, really weird. Like, the music for this was so downplayed and so uninspiring and like I said, just lackluster. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't like anything to write home about as to where it was Star Wars. You're very much used to like humming shit when you, you know, when you're walking out of the theater or, you know, you're used to the music being, I mean, the Star Wars soundtracks are some of the biggest selling soundtracks in, in music history because they're that damned good. You know, uh, Hell, I would have loved, and maybe it's in there. I've listened to it a couple times, and I didn't notice it. Maybe somehow I missed it when I was going through my listens. I would have loved to have had where there's a point where Han Solo is going to join the Empire, okay, and go to the Imperial Academy. Guess what? Star Wars fans have known that forever, okay? That's not a spoiler. Um, You know, he he was going to go join the Imperial Academy, and when he's doing so, like, the Imperial March is playing in the background at what is effectively, like, the docking or recruiting station or something, and like, I would have loved to have even had that in the soundtrack. And it's also interesting, even though this is already previously established in the uh, animated series, Star Wars canon and an animated series, Star Wars Rebels. Um, I would have loved to, you know, to, to have more of that. But where that is actually the Imperial March isn't just like Darth Vader's theme. It's actually it's literally in universe. It's the national anthem of the Galactic Empire, which is fine with me. You know, that that's that's cool. But I mean, that was established in Rebels before, but now it's it's certainly established um, in the movies, which is going to bring me to something, because while we're talking about music here, it's going to bring me to something that I want to touch on a lot more later. OK, there are unfortunately a lot of stupid people on the Internet Uh I know that's not going to come as a surprise. I don't know. Well, maybe it is. Spoiler alerts. There's a lot of stupid people on the internet. There are people who will make the claim that, who will say they're Star Wars fans, and they'll say that, oh, if it's not in the movies, it didn't happen. Even though Disney has made it abundantly. I mean, while that argument might have held water, you know, before Disney bought Star Wars, that's ever since Disney's bought Star Wars, it absolutely does matter. Okay. Like they are part and parcel. 
the comics, all of it, it's all interconnected. It's all canon. At least that's, you know, that's their claim. Um, but anyway, so the claim is, is that if it's not in the movies, you know, it doesn't really happen. Well, okay, now it's in the movies. In fact, this movie, Solo, really did a great job of, if you're a Star, a Star Wars sweaty, if you've been reading all the comics, if you've been reading all the novels, if you've been watching all the TV series, you know, animated series and everything, you got some serious payoff in this movie. I was really, really impressed by just how many canon connections were put into this film. I mean, you are fucking loaded with them. Okay, but now it's official. The Imperial March is actually the Imperial National Anthem. Great. Okay, uh, here's another one. And this is the point that I want to bring up, and it's important because of music. Here's another one. Darth Maul is alive. Yes. People have been telling it to you for a long time, and you just, you're like, oh, but I thought he was dead. And blah, blah. No, he's alive. He's been alive for like a decade <laughs> in Star Wars uh, lore, you know, or I mean, in, in, in Star Wars media, I should say, not even in universe. Like, I mean, he came back in the Clone Wars. He's been around for a while. He was back around for a while. Of course, if you watch Rebels, spoiler alerts, I guess, if you watch Rebels, you know that he ends up like really dying. Uh, much later on. So this is the thing, like this is one of the parts of the movie where I think a lot of people were surprised is when Darth Maul appears, right? But again, you shouldn't be surprised. I mean, like it's a surprise that they put Maul in the movie. Sure, that's a surprise. But like the fact that Maul's alive, that's not a surprise. Now I understand, I understand a lot of people don't take the time to watch all this other shit, right? My beef is with the people who make, who still to this day make the claim that if it's not in the movies, it didn't happen. Like, I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's such a stupid argument. And it's part of the reason I don't really go on the internet anymore. <laughs> not, not by, not much, not like I used to, uh, because I mean, you just, you get all this nonsense and these people are like, oh, Maul's alive. I mean, and they, they make it, they make sure, you know, that's Maul double bladed lightsaber and everything. And yes, you do get to see at least one lightsaber in this film. It was a question whether or not we would, um, but you do, you do end up seeing it. Now the music there is also great because you get a little hint of duel of fates from episode one which is nice. In fact, there's a lot of references in this to shit from the prequels. Um, they mentioned Tobias Beckett, again, Woody Harrelson's character, who's kind of the, in a way, a mentor for Han Solo, in a way, um, where he, he's, Land, Lando Calrissian says, whoa, you're Tobias Beckett. You're the guy that killed Aura Singh. Aura Singh, who the hell's Aura Singh? Well, two things. One, you, you knew Aura Singh from the comics from the old expanded universe, but she was also in episode one. And you knew her from the Clone Wars because she has a relationship uh, of a type with Boba Fett. You know, she works with Boba Fett, a very young Boba Fett. Um, so that was awesome to just like hear her mention. I mean, then this is all Disney. I wish Disney was doing this in a million other areas. I mean, it was great. Like in the last Jedi, when Luke Skywalker mentions Darth Sidious, it's like, great. Okay. You're admitting that the prequels exist. Very kind of you. But not only that, they're admitting that the Clone Wars exists, that, uh, you know, that Star Wars Rebels exists. I mean, you're getting a lot of this stuff baked into it and they've been doing a better job with that. Just like Rogue One referenced Star Wars Rebels uh, a lot. This referenced a lot of Clone Wars. It referenced, um, well, I mean, yeah, a lot of Clone Wars. I mean, it referenced a lot of things. And I was very, very pleased um, with that. And there's other canon connections that we're going to break into too as well um, with a lot of, you know, with a lot of this. So, but that was a nice touch for in the music to get Duel of Fates. And they did get Ray Park, who originally played Darth Maul. And I should have known that Darth Maul was going to be in this. Because I saw the pictures where, where guys who were at the, you know, at the red carpet premiere of the movie, 
where they were taking pictures with Ray Park. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I guess you invite everybody that's been a part of Star Wars to the red carpet premiere, but there's only so much room in those theaters. Like, do you really bring in Ray Park? You know, especially since Maul is kind of maligned in... If you're not a major Star Wars fan, it's kind of a malign character. But no, he was there. And now it makes perfect sense why he was there. Because he was in the fucking movie. And of course, the guy who, you know, <laughs> the only man I call an exceptional man. <laughs> Sam Witwer. <laughs> I get graciously called an exceptional man by some ladies. But anyway, but, uh, but, but the one guy I'll call an exceptional man. Sam Witwer. That stud. He... He was he did the voice for uh, for Darth Maul in this, and I was so happy about that because Sam Witwer has done so much amazing work within Star Wars, uh, particularly the animated series as well as some of the video games and otherwise. I just that guy, man, he's sexy. Oh, I'm so glad he was a part of this. I thought that was cool. Now I'm a huge fan. I mean, l- well, let's just talk about Darth Maul for a minute while we're talking about it. I'm a huge fan of Darth Maul in general. Okay, Be- uh, like I it, again, especially because guess what, folks? There's a lot more Maul than what's in Episode One. Um, Darth Maul. You know, it's just like, I I just, I always, I mean, he's easily one of the coolest looking characters ever. Most people agree on that. Um, But his story, like how he ends up taking over all of these. And again, these aren't spoilers. This is shit that's been talked about for over 10 years in Star Wars. Um, You know, like he becomes in charge of all these different criminal organizations and everything, which has to do with why he's in uh, Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, You know, I mean, just everything he's got going on for him and the way that, you know, he's taken on the emperor and everything. And he had his brother, Savage Press was really cool. Uh, like, I mean, I just, I love the character and just the look and the attitude and all that. I mean, like I really, really, really dig that character. So that was, that was a huge pleasant surprise to me to see uh, Darth Maul um, in this. So let's talk about, and I know I haven't given you my final verdict. Did I actually like the film? Let's keep going. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the acting while we're mentioning, uh, you know, Darth Maul and all that, which, by the way, this movie clearly set up for sequels. Like there could be a whole trilogy of Han Solo movies, which I think would be fine and dandy. Um, I hope Darth Maul's in more of them. I am so on board with that uh, because we know when Maul dies and it's more or less just before A New Hope or a a fair distance of, I don't know, a few years before A New Hope that he ends up dying. Um, I, I think that's accurate, depending upon... Well, wait, no, because the year, yeah, so it's around a new hope that he ends up dying uh, at the hands of Obi-Wan Kenobi, of all things. So I, I'm totally down with there being a lot more Maul. There better be more Maul. Uh, and you don't call him Darth anymore because he's not a Sith Lord anymore. Uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of my big hope is that he becomes a bigger character and gets really another chance to shine in future films. So Solo, A Star Wars Story did a lot of great setup for a lot of really cool things that could happen. I mean, Maul got to shine in The Clone Wars. Maul got to shine in Star Wars Rebels, but I want him to really shine, you know, with Ray Park in, in, in the suit, the whole thing, you know, uh, and, and the makeup. I, I, I want that to happen in a movie, and that way it can really be driven home to all those people who, who rip on that character because, I mean, I, I, I think they're just crazy for ripping on him. Uh, easily, I mean, he's not my favorite character in Star Wars. That title goes to Grand Admiral Thrawn, um, but he's, he's up there. <laughs> Maul is way, way up there. So, but the acting, let's talk about the acting. Uh, the acting was fine. How did, you know, how did uh, Alden Ehrenreich do as, as Han Solo? It worked. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. It worked. I believed I was watching Han Solo. That's enough. That's all it needed to do. And I think if, if Disney tried much harder, they could have, it would have been a bigger risk and it could have ended up falling on the floor. Uh, you know, they could have been falling on their face on the floor. And so I think that, I think Alden Ehrenreich did just fine. 
Um, I think that as he ages, he could even do better. Um, I, I had no problem with that. Um, I thought, again, totally believable as, or, you know, he worked as Han Solo. And, you know, you, you got it. And that's, that's all that matters. Again, was he great? No, no. Uh, in fact, he was totally outshined by uh, the character of Chewbacca. You know, as to where everybody's always loved Chewbacca, but Han Solo's definitely shined in, you know, in, in the original trilogy. Um, but in this case, Chewbacca definitely definitely took the stage. But maybe that's part of what made Alden Ehrenreich work, is that, you know, it wasn't, even though the movie is about him, the camera wasn't all about him, right? And, and maybe that's what made it acceptable. And that might have been one of the smartest moves on the director, Ron Howard, who did a hell of a job, I think, um, you know, on, on his part, okay? So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give it that. Um, believe me, folks, we got some interesting things to talk about in this review, so, so hold up for that. Uh, Amelia Clark, I thought she, as Kira, totally passable. You know, she, she worked, which she hasn't worked in everything that she's done. Um, but I like her as an actress. I hate Game of Thrones, but I like, you know, I thought she was great in Terminator Genesis. Um, I dig what she does. I thought she pulled it off in this film uh, just fine. No problems there. Uh, Woody Harrelson was Woody Harrelson. As Tobias Beckett, worked beautifully. You know, I mean, he he delivered. Um, wasn't being anything too different, but that was okay. He fit in very well, uh, you know, into this universe, and I I thought that 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 really that really worked. Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian, fantastic. You know, I mean, he 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 really did it. I I understand the importance of Lando Calrissian and what's going and how Donald Glover is such a white hot uh, 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 property, shall we say, right now. Um, I I get all of that. Okay. I wasn't like blown away by by Donald Glover, but I understand the importance of it. And I love the character of Lando Calrissian and and I, I thought he was very serviceable and it, and it did great and it worked fine. Um, and there were moments within the film that he was he was brilliant in moments. Um, but, you know, overall, yeah, I mean, it was what it was and, and, and it worked. It, that was Lando Calrissian. He was far more. He certainly did a better job than Alden Ehrenreich as solo, uh, but. I don't know, like, like you don't know the character of Lando as well as we know Han Solo. So I, I think that, I mean, not exactly. There's an attitude we expect. But with Lando Calrissian, I mean, I think a lot of ways that people think about Lando Calrissian more come from Billy D. Williams' what he had done outside of Star Wars. You know, the Colt 45 commercials and that other stuff uh, had a lot more to do with how people perceive Lando Calrissian. Because you really don't, I mean, let's be honest, you don't get a lot of Lando Calrissian in the movies, right? to get like that real feel for him. Um, so I think Donald Glover had a bit of an easier task in my opinion. That's just my opinion. I'd understand if people feel differently. Uh, and, but he worked, I mean, it, it, it did it. So the, the acting overall throughout the whole film and Paul Bettany and everybody, I mean, they were all, you know, everybody delivered. There was no problem with the acting whatsoever. Everything worked out just fine. Um, so now this was a movie that was highly troubled as far as production goes. Um, I don't think it really showed in the film, uh, which I'll give that credit because originally it was Lord Miller that were making it. Then they, you know, they got rid Disney for however that happened. Disney got rid of them and Ron Howard came, came in and apparently saved the day uh, and reshot a significant portion of the film. Uh, this is becoming seemingly a commonplace thing for Star Wars. It feels that way anyway. W whatever the reality is, is a different story that we may never know the whole story of. But uh, Ron, Her Ron Howard did the job, you know, and, and the movie, I don't think, showed signs of trouble in production, which, you know, I mean, what more can you ask for? That's great. Uh, you know, I, I thought that that, that totally worked. Um, 
there's some other characters I want to talk about in a second here, but I'll go ahead and, and at this moment, I will give you the payoff as far as what did I think of the film. So I went to go see the film and, it, you know, we'll, we'll do a break here. I went to go see the film. I saw it Thursday night and it was uh, myself, of course, uh, Stephanie and uh, Ellen. We all went, we, the three of us went and saw it. And, um, it, you know, I, I enjoyed it. Like, I, I mean, I, I really liked it. I, I liked it a lot. I'm not going to say it's necessarily great. Um, the great thing about it, like anything that got me excited in the film was actually the canon connections. Those were the things that excited me because I think I was so scared that it would just be something so off the wall like The Last Jedi. Not that I hate The Last Jedi, but that it would just be so like paving new ground that I didn't really want it to do that, especially as a prequel, because that was the argument that a lot of people had against the prequels is that they, they seem so vastly different from the star Wars that we knew. Um, I needed something that felt familiar and something that, you know, had enough connective tissue and it really did deliver on that. I mean, there were just so many Canon connections. In fact, there's one that might date star Wars as in like, okay, what does a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away mean? Well, we'll see, but I'll talk about that in a minute. So anyway, we went and saw it and, and Stephanie thought the same thing. She, or I mean, not the same thing. Stephanie thought her, her quote was, cause I asked both ladies for a quote and Stephanie said, yeah, I thought that she thought it was the best of the new movies, you know, of the newer movies. She doesn't really like Star Wars anyway, but she thought it was the best of the new movies. Um, and so that, I mean, that's saying something, you know, new movies, meaning episode seven, Rogue One and episode eight. Um, Ellen seemed to be on the same page and Ellen's not a you know big Star Wars fan either. Uh, and, she, but she was like, no, I enjoyed it. You know, she thought, she thought it was fun. And, and she said, what did they say? She said, Chewbacca was fierce and fabulous. <laughs> They both really liked Chewbacca in the film, which that seems to be a common thing, is that people have been uh, very excited about the, the the character of Chewbacca, and they've really enjoyed it. And Chewbacca was great in the film. There's, I'm not going to take anything away from that. Uh, so that was their take on it. But yeah, I, I, I thought it was very good. You know, I, I liked it a lot. I don't know if I'm going to go so far as to call it, like, great, but the canon connections were great. I mean, having, having Maul in it, that was great. Um, and a lot of the other stuff that went into it that, I mean, some of those things like mentioning Aura Singh, that excited the fuck out of me. Um, a lot of this other stuff that, that you find out about, I all, I thought that a lot of that was, was also, you know, really, really great. So, um, let's see. Well, let, all right. So yeah, that, that's my take is that, yeah, the movie was, was very good. I, I liked it a lot. You know, if I were to give it a score or, you know, maybe maybe like I should do a Star Wars movie ranking, where would I put it as far as compared to other Star Wars movies? Because really Star Wars movies exist on a, a ranking on their own. Right. You don't you don't compare them to other films. I mean, that's that's meaningless, you know, because like Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back are just two of the greatest movies ever made. And they belong in that paradigm and everything kind of revolves around them, like, you know, an asteroid belt in a solar system. Um, so. As far as where I'd put it, I, I've been thinking about this, you know, trying to chew over it over a couple of days. Um, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lay out like a totally new ranking. I'll save that for the Star Wars update. But I'd, I'd put this fairly high, like I, you know, out of out of what is there, 11, 12 films now, you know, I, I wouldn't put it in the top five, but it'd be just kissing it, you know. So I mean, it's good, it's good. It's not, you know, it's not as bad as say, well. People give me shit when I say this. I think episode four is terrible. I like it more than I like episode four. How about that? You know, I like it more than I like A New Hope. Um, it's better than Attack of the Clones. You know, I'll, I'll give it those. So, I mean, that's that. That's where I would really, where I would put, um, where I'd put that. 
So anyway, let's talk more about the film. You know, and I mean, and maybe one of the nicest things that can be said about the movie is it really did feel like Star Wars. I mean, you know, it, it, it felt like like it could fit in with Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back. It really could. Um, but there's been a new trend. OK, now this is going to get into a little bit of the books uh, and the comic books. OK, but there has been and I'm, I'm probably Robin and I will end up talking about this on the Star Wars update, I'm sure, because we hinted at it in the uh, April Star Wars update. And he knew exactly what I was talking about, because I've, I've been hinting at this in other Star Wars updates. There is this weird underlying storyline throughout Star Wars since Disney bought it. And what it is, it has to do with droids. So in this movie, you have the character of L3, which is uh, Lando's droid and co-pilot for the Millennium Falcon while Lando owns the Millennium Falcon. Again, we already knew that Han Solo won the Millennium Falcon from Lando in a Sabacc game. Okay. Uh, and yes, that Sabacc game is in the movie. You knew it was going to happen. Okay. <laughs> So, and if also, if you're wondering, by the way, if you're wondering why does the Millennium Falcon look so different in a solo a Star Wars story, I was wondering how they were going to exactly explain that. You find out exactly, you know, what, what the difference, what, what ends up happening with it. And what it is, is that like the, in the middle between like what looks like the pincers at the front of it, there's an escape pod that, that Lando installs and Han Solo gets rid of it, which I thought was cool. Like that was a cool little storyline thing. And cause then after that, then the, then the millennium Falcon looks like the millennium Falcon, you know, and love, but the idea that Han Solo doesn't believe in escape pods, like that just totally feels fits in with his character that he doesn't think those are necessary. Uh, that was really cool. And a lot of what they did with the Falcon in this, where there was a lot of hot rotting of the millennium Falcon, uh, you know, for varying reasons, like it felt kind of fast and the furious, which I thought was, pre- which, was claimed for The Last Jedi, but in Solo Star Wars Story, you actually get that, where there's, like, modifications and a lot of other stuff. And I thought that that was really, like, you even get this effect that's almost like nitrous. Uh, I thought that that, that worked really, really well um, in the film. But anyway, back to L3. So you have the character of L3, who is this droid who, I mean, a female droid, or female programmed, seemingly, droid, who acts... Kind of like a feminist, right? Like, like like your real kind of socialist feminist type. And like she's all about revolution and trying to free all these droids. Now that's the underlying storyline that has been in a ton of comic books over the past, well, five years now since Disney's owned it. Uh, and that has been in a lot of the books, including the recent book that was a, kind of a tie-in to this movie that was called uh, Last Shot. It's a Han and Lando novel. That's like the actual full title. And L3's in that. Um and that's a lot about this like droid rebellion, that droids are tired. In fact, this kind of plays off of what we were talking about earlier uh, with Amazon and Facebook. Okay, the idea of creating robots and whatever, you know, automatons to do all the, uh, you know, busy work for humans so that you can live a life of luxury or something, right? So L3 is kind of the embodiment of this attitude where she's like, oh yeah, you know, we need to free, you know, all the droids need to be free, revolution, you know, viva la revolution and all this stuff with the droids. And you get some of that within the film. Um, but this this storyline, like, it's so pervasive in Star Wars right now. Like, I'm waiting for this, like, at some point there's going to be, there's got to be movies where you're going to have a war between the organics, you know, humans and aliens, whatever, versus the droids, versus the mechanics, you know, the mechanicals, Right that's got to be happening. I mean, because they're pushing it way too hard and it was all over solo a star Wars story is the most blatant display of it, frankly. And a part of me wonders if, and this is something we talked about years ago on sovereign tech, a part of me wonders if somebody at Disney is like, believes in the theory that's, 
called uh, Roco, uh, not Rocco's. I call it, I used to call it Rocco's. I think it's actually pronounced Rocco's Basilisk, which is the idea that an, an artificial, an AGI, an artificial general intelligence, something like Skynet, is eventually going to come into fruition no matter what we do. But it's going to be so powerful that it will ensure that through, you know, various time travel technologies and everything, it will ensure that it ends up coming into existence. Okay, this is, read up about it. It's R-O-K-O, you know, apostrophe S, basilisk. Read up about this if you've never heard of it. We talked about it, and I I don't, I think it's bullshit, but we talked about it uh, years ago on the show because somebody asked about it. So anyway, so Rocco's basilisk is the idea that the AI will punish anyone that tries to stop it from coming into existence. Okay, this is a, this is a theory within, you know, like the artificial intelligence community. All right. Very popular one at that, even though nobody's supposed to talk about it. And a part of me wonders if Disney is like, if somebody at Disney is afraid of, of Rocco's Basilisk, and so they're lacing Star Wars with the idea that, oh no, you know, yeah, ant- droids should be free, robots should be free, you know, the mechanicals should be free, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I really wonder about that because it, I mean, either that or like I said, they're just building up to a movie where there's going to be some kind of great war. Uh, kind of like, you know, how supposedly it happened in Dune where, you know, it's the machines versus the people in the Butlerian Jihad. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> that's all I can say on that. But it, it's it's really in this film. I like the character of L3. I thought she was funny. I like the sexual component between her and Lando. I thought that that was very cool uh, and, and clever and well done. I know it didn't hit with everybody, but I thought it worked um, with L3. And the other cool thing with L3 is we finally got an answer. So we find out, I think, in... The Force Awakens, or in some recent material, that the Falcon has three droid brains, which is weird. And then you get in The Empire Strikes Back, and as soon as what they were about to do with, like, you find out that L3 has this great, like, navigational knowledge, then that's the reason why, uh, despite her attitude and her willingness to disobey whatever Lando says, um, because droids usually just are supposed to do what their, you know, quote-unquote masters tell them to do. Um, she, you know, you find out that, that he doesn't, he doesn't wipe her memory to where she could be obedient again because he, you know, her navigational knowledge is so impressive. So the character of L3, and if you read the book last shot, you know that she doesn't exactly die, but the character of L3 dies in this movie. Okay. There's a spoiler that I gave you. I I don't think most people are going to care because it sounds like most people don't like the character anyway. So, but L3, they take her, her neural network and they plug it into the Falcon, like her brain, then they effectively plug it into the Falcon so that they have like this great navigational computer. And so now you know what one of those three brains is, but also in the Empire Strikes Back, there's the point where C-3PO says to Han Solo when they're trying to fix the Falcon, you know, C-3PO says like, this, this, the ship has the most peculiar dialect. Like what the fuck is the ship talking about? And I think that's retroactively, obviously George Lucas didn't plan it, but, but retroactively that's explaining what the hell the peculiar dialect was, is that one of them is L3 and L3 is a really, you know, like snarky, uh, a droid. And so I thought that was really cool when they did that. I was like, Oh, that's nice. (laughs) <laughs> like that was really slick. And also that scene where they have to connect her brain to, to use her navigational computer. It's uh, it's part of because, or it's partly because they're trying to get away from um, what's called the Maw. Now the Maw is something from the old expanded universe where it's an area where like the Death Star was built. Right. Um, 
So I thought that that was really like mentioning the Maw. Again, this is another thing where see all these canon connections. This movie was loaded with them. And I'm so glad that Disney took the risk with that and put those in because it made the movie, it gave the movie meaning for me as to where otherwise it was just enjoyable. It had some funny pacing at moments and there were certain scenes that shouldn't have been as long. Like one of the missions really shouldn't have been as long as it was. Um, it, it gave the movie a lot of meaning and, and, and a lot of weight with me because of all these different canon connections because um, I'm into that, you know? So anyway, there, there were some other canon connections. Like you can see there's a point where the character of Tobias Beckett is wearing the uniform and he got it. He must have gotten it off the Falcon, the uniform that Lando Calrissian is wearing at the beginning of Return of the Jedi in Jabba's palace when he's hiding as a guard. And that makes sense because, you know, he was flying the Falcon at the time after Empire Strikes Back. Uh, so like that was cool. I mean, there's a lot of these little canon connections. I mean, and there, I'm sure there's more. And after I watched a few more times, I'll see even more. But there's one I, I got to mention. There's one I have to bring up. OK, and then we're going to we're going we're gonna to start wrapping this up. And that is in um, Dryden Voss's room, who's the character that Paul Bettany plays, who's appears to be the main bad guy. But then, you know, like I said, there's a lot of twists and turns in this movie. In his not office, but his whatever luxury suite, he has a bunch of different artifacts. Some of those are Sith artifacts. There's all kinds of wild shit in there, which is pretty cool in itself. There's also some Mandalorian armor, which makes me wonder if Dryden Voss is actually a Mandalorian. He has, he has the look, uh, which that's fine with me. That's cool. If we'd find out that he was, um, he there's in, in that room and you see it, multiple times throughout the movie and there's a point where it actually gets blown up during a fight scene at the end okay there's a crystal skull that looks exactly like the crystal skulls from kingdom of the crystal skull okay like you know the indian from you know indiana jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull the terrible indiana jones film so what do we got there <laughs> did that just completely officially put Indiana Jones into the Star Wars universe? Did Lucasfilm finally tie all this together? I As soon as I saw that, I said, holy shit, that's a crystal skull. Or even if it's not supposed to be the crystal skull from Indiana Jones, well, then it's the crystal skull from, you know, like the 13 crystal skulls, uh, you know, that, that, that are an actual thing on Earth as far as where they actually come from. That's a whole other story. There's a lot of different theories on that. Uh, some crazy, some not. But yeah, like that crystal skull in in his uh, you know in his room. That's that's something. That's like how they put ET in episode one, right? In the Senate scene, you have ET's race from the Green Planet. Is there uh, that that is very very interesting? And I'm waiting for somebody to talk about that. And I'm not seeing a whole lot of people talk about it, but I'm waiting for somebody to bring it up. Um, but absolutely. That that is a that is a crystal skull from Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. I mean, it could have been CGI. I don't know it was an actual prop, but I thought that that was very very interesting uh, that they put that in there. The other nice thing that was mentioned in it is the, the character of Kira. There's a point where she starts kicking some ass, and uh, she you know like L three says, "Whoa, where did you? What was that? You know, where'd you learn that?" And she says, "It's Terrace Kasi." Which Tarascasi I thought was pronounced and has been pronounced by a lot of people for many years Tarascasi, which is a game, a PlayStation game from the '90s called Masters of Tarascasi, which was a, this not so great Star Wars fighting game. Okay, <laughs> not in fact not really good at all. Um, but Tarascasi or Tarascasi, as Amelia Clark's character Kira says it, uh, was also mentioned in the Visual Dictionary 
for the visual guide or, you know, visual dictionary for, um, for the last Jedi. So it's already been brought back into Canon, you know, from the old expanded universe, but here we get mention of it again. And I thought that that was cool. Again, just more of those Canon connections. That's one of the best things that this movie did. And it was really the big thing for me is that as a star Wars fan, it felt like a lot of payoff for paying attention and for consuming everything star Wars for so long. Uh, and, and that, re that really, I give this film a lot of credit for that. Uh, and I give it a lot of credit for coming out as good as a very good film, despite the apparent troubles that were had during production. Um, I mean, it, it had a lot going for it. I can't, a part of me just says, I can't call it great because the music sucked. I mean, except for, you know, the cues when you got some other things, like the music really sucked. And honestly, it actually, I might've given it even, I might've knocked it down. I don't know if I would, maybe I just would have said good instead of very good if Maul wasn't in it. Cause I thought that was such a ballsy move to bring in Darth, to bring in Maul, uh, you know, and have him show up as a character. But I, it was, it was such a great moment that, you know, you can't love it. I mean, he shows up as a hologram, but it's enough, you know, just to get more Maul like that, that really, really, really fucking worked for me. Um, but yeah, again, it it felt like a Star Wars movie, which great, you know, there there was nothing, there's nothing really technically wrong. Again, even the music, it wasn't bad. Or I mean, I know I said it sucked. It sucked compared to other Star Wars soundtracks. It wasn't bad. It just wasn't great. It wasn't memorable. And that's a shame for a Star Wars film because it's just one of the things you go there for. You know, you go there ready for the music. And I really wish they'd bring in Kevin Kiner or give Michael Giacchino another shot, whatever. Like give us something. John Williams is, you know, not going to be long for this world, it seems. I hate to say that because he's one of the best. He's not the best. So that that goes to Jerry Goldsmith. But he's, you know, he's one of the best. And, yeah, I don't know. I didn't feel John Powell's score. I thought Joel McNeely's score of, from Shadows of the Empire was uh, was better. In fact, there was a mention, of, was it the Pike Sisters? That That's from Shadows of the Empire, which that was a nice little, another canon connection. Again, tons of canon connections. So if you know your Star Wars, this film is just that much better. Okay, uh, but it's, you know, it's it, it's kind of by the numbers. It has some funny pacing, but it's very good for what it is. You know, I mean, it, it really is very good. And it's a feat alone to enjoy a movie where someone else besides Harrison Ford is playing on solo. I mean, that's really a feat uh, to pull off. So, you know, kudos to the production team and the Lucasfilm for putting that together. Um, yeah, again, I'm not going to call it a great film, but it's very, very good. It's very good. Um, I'm not going to necessarily agree that, like, it's the best of the new ones. I'd probably still give that to Rogue One, uh, even though Rogue One could have been significantly better, but uh, in ways or we know it could have been significantly better, but for what it is, it's great. Um, yeah. So, may, you know, again, on the Star Wars update coming up, I will give you a full new ranking of where I end up, you know, how I re-rank. I mean, you have to do that check-in, right? Like you might as well do that check-in every month. Okay. How do you feel about, you know, where does this Star Wars movie fit? Where does this Star Wars movie fit, you know, on your, on your rank? And I mean, I don't, nothing's ever going to take Return of the Jedi off the top spot. I just can't, there's just no way, you know, there's, there's too much, too much nostalgia and too much genuine greatness done in that movie for that to lose top spot. I cannot picture anything taking Empire Strikes Back out of the number two spot. There's just no way. So it's always going to debate, be a debate of, does something actually get to number three for me? Uh, this movie does not get to number three for me, but it gets pretty high. It, it, I mean, you know, it gets fairly high on the list. Um, here, let me say something to enrage you as you go. Uh, no, I don't think it's better than episode one. Ooh, gotcha there, baby. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So that's it. There's the review for uh, Star Wars uh, or for Solo, a Star Wars story. Um, I, I totally, again, please make two more films. 
You know, you got Alden Ehrenreich for, for a trilogy, contracted for a trilogy, do it. And have more Darth Maul. Uh, or, you know, have more Maul. This, I think that'd be awesome. Uh, I really, I liked what they're doing here. This was a, this is a move in the right direction. It was a correction with, I think a lot of the problems that people might've had with the last Jedi. All of those things are really important. Even if a film isn't great, it can still be very important to when you have a franchise situation like you do with star Wars. And I think solo is a move in the right direction for a lot of this. So I hope that trend keeps on going. So anyway, go check it out. If you haven't, I don't think I spoiled too much. There's still a lot to see within the film and some things I probably didn't get to that I'll get to in future episodes. And uh, whew, yeah, yeah, very good film. All right, that's it. Uh, if you want to become a patron, of course, go to SovereignTech.com and you can become a patron and get access to tons of more content. Boy, do we ever get into geeky shit. We get into geeky shit all the time uh, on, on, you know, on Patreon episodes. So go for it. Uh, I will see all of you whew, on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.